In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Tell your friends you're listening to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. And we have a very special episode. We have the 1979 movie Alien. <laughs> Nathan, what's your history with Alien? I've seen this movie a few times. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is seriously like one of my top 10 favorites. Uh, interestingly, I didn't really start getting into this movie until I was in my 20s. Huh. I saw it a few times when I was younger. But I never appreciated it because it's like the oh the action and adventure is in the James Cameron aliens like that's yeah. what young men would be drawn to. Was I got older, it's like, well, that's sort of that's fine for what it is. But it's like I started revisiting the original and really looking into it, and it's like oh this is brilliant filmmaking. It's like this is an amazing movie um, that also like in the modern vernacular, like wouldn't be made. They, they would not make this movie like this again. So it's an interesting time capsule of a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, this is one of those movies that builds a wall between Gen X and millennials. Okay. Because there's very much, there's people like, it's like, like we grew up with Aliens. It's a cool action movie. And Terminator 2, it's a, Terminator 2, it's a cool action movie. And then Gen X is like, no, Terminator and Alien are better, far better, superior movies. I mean, they're all great movies, but it's like, there's just something that millennials gravitated towards, like Terminator Two and Aliens, because I guess they're both Cameron and they're just fun action movies. So yeah, and Terminator and Alien are more introspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're, they're movies from an earlier time and place, I guess, and and is yeah, how you say it. And Alien is just like, it, it kind of revived science fiction, and it also created what I consider the most plausible science fiction future that could exist. Like, if there's <laughs> going to be a future, it's probably going to be something like Alien, where it's like, oh yeah, we'll be in space and have technology, but we'll still be driven by greed, selfishness, and malice. <laughs> and uh, it, it's like, yeah, it cr creates a very, um, very believable world. Um, there's also there's also a lot of viewpoints that I never got from this movie. Yeah, that I know exists, but uh, but like so like I was a huge fan of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and in that movie they spoil Alien. They're like, remember when that thing pops out of the guy's chest? Yeah. So like I was aware of Alien having never seen it. Right. <laughs> and I don't even think I saw it till like uh, till I was like 20 because I just didn't. Have, I didn't have. I always remember the box art because my friend they had it like on their shelf, and it's you know just the, the alien with the egg, uh, and then just aliens too. And actually, I think the actually the very first thing I saw of the Alien franchise was I think was an advertisement for Alien Three. Like that's actually my first member memory of Alien franchise, which I in my head it was like a Super Bowl commercial where like 
Ripley shaves her head and they make a big deal of it. And I tried to look it up and apparently that just only exists in my mind. Huh. <laughs> well, that's before they started the super collider at CERN. So that's probably <laughs> in the universe where Mandela died in prison, but it did happen. Although all my, uh, all my uh, burnt in memories from uh, the, f- what was it? The first order. Yeah. I think it was the first order. The one with the uh, <laughs> Filipino guy that looks uh, Hispanic. Oh, I mean the first power. Yeah, the first power. Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yes, yes. All, all, everything I remember about that trailer did exist in the movie. Yeah, it actually <laughs> happened. It was the coolest trailer for a B movie ever. So remember that guy jumps off the roof and just lands. It's like, oh, okay. Or he turns a ceiling fan into like a deadly weapon yeah. and chases somebody around. Yeah, for some reason, a, f- a ceiling fan becomes like the blades of a Mustang fighter plane <laughs> somehow. The most robust ceiling fan ever. So, yeah, I think eventually I came around to seeing Aliens first because that's just a you know a more fun action movie. And then got to Alien later, which I probably didn't appreciate because, like, ah, there's less action. Yeah. <laughs> um, And also, like, it's also the same reaction to Alien 3 where it's like, I was no reaction, although that has a great ending to it, which kind of like saves that movie. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, it's, it seems like everyone's come around on Alien 3. Uh, mostly it's probably because it's Fincher and nobody wants to think Fincher did anything bad or they're like, ah, I got wrestled out of his hands. It's his first studio movie. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I, I like all three movies for different reasons. They all create, they all capture an element of the alien universe that is cool. And even Alien Resurrection is, I just like that for its weirdness. I almost don't see that as connected to the other three movies. It's It's just so wild, but I appreciate (laughs) anything the French do, I kind of like. But um, yeah, after the first three movies, the quality drops off dramatically. I mean, it's like (laughs) that roller coaster where, where it's almost like inverse. It's dropping off so quickly. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean. It kind of stay out. I mean, production wise, it's always high. I mean, except when you get to AVP, because those were clearly B movies and like really had nothing to do with the alien universe. Yeah, but, I mean, I just I, you're talking about. I had a lot of high hopes for Prometheus. That more, yeah, but it's still like an A plus production of a. Oh movie. yeah, they it's look like, great. Yeah, Prometheus and Covenant look great. Covenant actually kind of redeemed itself uh, a little bit, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, there's just no original. Like, well, yeah, once you watch the first movie, it's like, well, it's, this is the only one like this. Also, I feel like, a, a, I don't know, there's been, like, a lot of, like, I guess, revisiting of Prometheus, and now it's, like, on the tilt of, like, no, it's amazing. And, and, like, they kind of, like, getting rid of, like, the concerns that people have for it where it seemed like, hey, why does everybody get dumb at the end? It's like, no, they're greedy. You don't understand. It's like, no, I do understand. This is stupid. Yeah. It's all based on what my subjective experience of the movie was, and mine was like, it wasn't horrible, it wasn't like a waste of money to go, but it wasn't what I was expecting, therefore I wasn't like super happy with it. Now, after seeing Prometheus, then when I saw Covenant, I was like, well, this is okay, you know, so I don't know if like one served as like a a protective layer for the next one. Uh, Well, also I feel like, actually I think like things might move back to negative on Prometheus, because it seems like the lost guys that wrote that script, it seems like they've kind of fallen off pretty heavily. It's like, Oh, I guess these guys weren't geniuses. They were just kind of wrote incomplete scripts and everybody filled in the gap with amazing ideas. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it definitely, it, there was a seesaw effect there for sure. 
back. Alien came out in June 22nd, 1979, a summer movie. Yep. <laughs> I feel like this absolutely, I know there's like different decades and stuff like that, but like this does not feel like a 70s movie at all. No. <laughs> this feels like a blueprint for every 80s movie almost. Well, exactly. Every, every 80s movie that's like dark. Yep. Which is most 80s movies because the way you the way you upped your budget is make everything dark so you don't have to have a lot of detail. Yeah. And then do smoke and lasers. And I think this is like one of the first movies to do like smoke and lasers. <laughs> I mean, it's really only for one scene, but. Yeah, this uh, this movie had some um, amazing production values. It is very steeped in the '70s, though. If you look at the sexual subtexts in this movie, which like uh, this is like not, I, I mean, Ridley Scott when he does this stuff, I mean, we could call this movie the, or this podcast the Ridley Scott effect and not <laughs> change our thesis any at all because it's kind of the same thing, where it's like, yeah, how deep can we say this is? But uh, between him, H.R. Giger, and I mean, this is stuff they've actually said. Like, I've watched making of production movies. All the sexual subtext in this is very deeply in the 70s, like in and of the era of the 70s. But it doesn't really detract from the movie because just as a as viewing it and watching it, it's like, what do you get out of it? <laughs> yeah. Because I have some, I have a very, I, I kind of my own idea about like, well, this is a movie about feminism. Is like, no, it isn't. It's just about <laughs> it. it it isn't for a very important reason. I'll, we'll talk about it later, but it's like, no, it actually, that whole argument is defeated by the, some of the stuff that goes on in the movie. It's like, no, it's just about survival. And you, and the characters are so well-written. You don't care that Ripley's a woman. <laughs> you just like, get the hell out of there, please. Well, that's again, that's another viewpoint that I never got to have. Cause I heard people talk about this thing where it's like, cause I always know Ripley is like, Oh, she's the hero of aliens. Yeah or the alien franchise whereas like people talk about like no when this movie got originally released everyone's like well tom scarrett's got to be the guy that's the hero right and then it's unexpected that like that ripley is the hero which i never got to experience that whatsoever it's just i just always known like oh yeah um because like i don't know like what these i actually don't even know like because these all these actors have kind of gone on to do like they're kind of all character actors yes yeah <laughs> this isn't really like an all-star cast but it is like a very notable cast. It's a high quality cast of yeah. of notable actors who are never like leads, except Sigourney Weaver. She kind of did some leading stuff later, but she also was sort of typecast by this movie. Is but she's also a woman who's over six foot tall too, so that sort of limits like, oh, can she be like a romantic lead? It's like, well, maybe if we <laughs> put her next to an NBA player or something. It's like it did sort of limit that, but yeah. Also, I didn't realize this like one of her first movies. She had some bit part in a Woody Allen movie where she's just in there. She's in high heels to make her look even taller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like somebody's date. And I don't even think she has a lie, but you just see her in the distance. Um, yeah, I didn't know she was like 30 when she did this movie. And this is her first movie. Yep. She was told not to. She was told to quit acting at, I think, Harvard or I forget yeah. where she was. Yeah. It's like you're too tall and weird looking. Quit act, don't act. It's like <laughs> then they fired the guy who said that because he kept telling everyone not to act, and they're like, "Yeah, get out of here." <laughs> but she's also so baby faced in this movie. I would expect her to be like younger, but no, no, uh. she's she's like, well, Tom Skerritt's ninety. <laughs> Veronica Cartwright's seventy four. Oh yeah, Veronica Cartwright's Granny Weaver, same age. So yeah, they're both seventy four now, and I think 
call the rest of the cast as dead. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, directed by Ridley Scott. This is his first like he was a yeah, this is his first movie, but he was he did a lot of like commercial work. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, he famously directed the 1984 Apple ad. Yep. Um, so he did a lot of stuff like that. So he's known for stuff. He's also like those commercial guys. They're just like really great at making high quality stuff quickly. Um, and also you're know, using a British, you know, yeah, this was made in Britain, right? They use yeah. all the British work there. So yeah, you get it. This also seemed to like, I don't know, like when vacuum forming really took off, but it seemed like they really benefited from that here. <laughs> We're just like, we just need stuff that looks like stuff like vacuum form it out, put it on a wall and paint. <laughs> I mean, I was all star Wars too, but here it's like star Wars, but a little bit dirtier, a little bit more detail. <laughs> yeah. Even though star Wars is pretty dirty, but you know, when you're on the empire, everything's clean. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the dirty space universe, but it's, uh, in Aliens, it's 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 just darker, and it's also way more. We gotta remember this movie was helped a lot by H.R. Giger. Is is like yeah, uh, yeah. everything's organic and sexual. <laughs> it's like oh okay, because if you notice in all the Alien movies after that, doesn't happen. It's only this one that they like the insides of ships and everything, or, or all even the Nostromo looks kind of like weird growths and and very organic in its own. Well, yeah, I mean, there's even stuff where it's way. like here's a Giger painting and we just put it in the movie. Like we don't explain anything. It's just, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas other, you know, other times they'd have to like, everything has to be explained. So, cause like the, with the space jockey, it's like, well, what's that? It's like, Oh, we don't know. And then Prometheus tries to explain it and then it just becomes stupid. <laughs> but that was just a painting like that Giger had. And like, yeah, let's put that in the movie. That'll be cool. Like, nobody will know what to think that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it just looks weird in space age. Let's paint it white, so yeah, it doesn't look like quite like intestines. But yeah, <laughs> um, I, I thought there was going to be a bunch of movies in seven because there must have been some kind of change in film stock around this time. Because I feel like a lot of movies around this era, like when you do a digital uh, transfer of it, like they look amazing. They don't look like they came from the seventies. It's like this and Apocalypse Now. Yeah, because the first time I saw Apocalypse Now was I think when nineteen ninety nine like on cable and it was like holy shit, this doesn't this looks like a modern movie like this is from the 70s yep. <laughs> and like i it was just something with the 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 digital remastering that like they did a, like a fantastic job with so uh, but you know you can definitely find movies from 79 i was like oh yeah <laughs> this is an old movie <laughs> oh yeah yeah this movie aged incredibly well I mean, that's also weird. They're like still the making end. video games and stuff around oh, yeah. this, so it's like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's also interesting to look at the bookends of the of the of the decade here, because like we start with airport and we end with alien. <laughs> yeah, there's a big evolution that went on yeah. in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, what other? Yeah, what? Other... What other Ridley Scott movies have we done for this podcast? I mean, you can just look up all his. Oh yeah, we did Black Hawk Down. That's right. But yeah. We'll come across a lot of his movies. So, yeah, um, he's one of my favorite directors. I always know when I'm watching a Ridley Scott movie, and always has contentious, like quote unquote, pseudo director cuts and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's like the most famous for that. Like, no, I'm gonna redraft this movie, and then like, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> White Squall was the other movie we did of his. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Our most disappointing Ridley Scott movie. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was just it, you remember it as being grander than it really was. Yeah, it's like yeah, but there's a lot of stuff of his I haven't you know watched in a while. Then he'll do something like The Martian. Like it's like oh yeah. okay cool. Yeah yeah. <laughs> I don't. I haven't seen the. I always. Oh, Anyone with Ben Affleck recently where there's sword fighting? I heard that, that one's, one's good. good. Yeah, that's. Really I never good. saw House of Gucci. I hear good things and terrible things, so it's probably fine. <laughs> I like Napoleon. Um, okay, <laughs> I hear some people are contentious about that. Find it ridiculous, but I mean, there's sure no reason hurt. to be. And I mean, well, the thing is, there's people that want to. Uh, here it's a thing. It's kind of like the stuff with Oliver Stone. It's like, yeah, he he makes movies. It's like, well, historical purists don't like that. It's like, well, yeah, he's not doing an 18-part documentary on PBS. He's making a three-hour movie, <laughs> which, you know, for most people's attention span, some people find that challenging to do for three hours. Like, I, if it's well-made, it's not. But, you know, now if you want to talk about, like, boring Ridley Scott, just go watch, like, 1492 Conquest of Paradise <laughs> or something. It's, it's oh, all yeah. like, Big concept say, uh, stuff, but it's like, wow, this is boring. A lot of his late nineties and or late eighties, early nineties stuff is not great. Yeah, well, it's what um, you call self indulgent. A lot of it is like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make this in good because I am. And it's like, well, sorry. I mean, and then Lee's like really like struck a chord and just doesn't feel like a Ridley Scott movie. But maybe that's something we need to revisit because you don't remember it for the Ridley Scott things. You remember it for like. Oh, these ladies kill a guy and go on a fun spree running away from the cops and then jump into the Grand Canyon. At the end. Yeah, I mean, you remember, yeah, you remember the things about it. Um, <laughs> no, but if you look at how Thelma and Louise is shot, you're like, yeah, this is a Ridley Scott. Just, yeah, but I haven't, I haven't done oh, it like okay. a, I haven't reanalyzed it like I haven't seen that movie probably in like 15 years, so I really haven't, done, I haven't done the very open effect look at that again. <laughs> Cinematographer is Derek Vanlet. Yep. Lint, and he. I don't know what's up with him, but he did not do a lot of movies. <laughs> like this is his first movie, essentially, like full. T- that's not a short. Um, I remember the interesting things about how they shot this movie is that this is one of the first movies, or maybe one of the well-known movies that shot with fluorescent lights. Yeah, which I know it's something that Fincher also likes to do because it gives it kind of a cool, like not cool and like cool, but like you know, kind of a, a dimmer color um and a flatter color and then literally cool in that you're not frying your actors with bright <laughs> fluorescent lights <laughs> or not fluorescent uh, halogen lights or whatever they use it's like metal halide lights and stuff yeah which is also actually worked to their benefit too as it didn't melt all the stuff on set that was glued to the walls <laughs> <laughs> that makes it not D- derek valiant was mainly worked in advertising okay. and he was also the way I understand it, it, it wasn't like DP and name only because he did a lot of works, but he was actually more of a special effects, uh, like uh, he could shoot models very well. Okay. And he had a certain talent for that, but I think the overarching vision was all Ridley Scott's in this. Okay. And this guy was kind of like a guy, like, I'm good at model work. I also know how which side of the camera's what, and <laughs> I can take your lead. But it's like, yeah, if you want to do, like, incredible model work and practical effects, this is the guy. He's going to be the best DP for that. Maybe not for the overall vision because, uh, yeah, he just he, he just kind of went right back into uh, doing commercial work. So. 
uh, after because yeah, he did like Dragon Slayer. That's the only other notable movie on his list. It's Alien and Dragon Slayer. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, his but mainly like he just made bank and in, in uh, that that's how it was described in the things I read. Okay, it's like the DP of this film was was I mean, kind of a combination of him and Ridley Scott. Well, that's, I don't know. It's like there's other like because like Ridley Scott is very comparable to uh, Michael Bay. Except Ridley Scott's talented. Mm. <laughs> well, Ridley Scott has a better idea for a story. Yeah. Michael Bay is an amazing cinematographer, director guy. Yeah, Michael Bay would be like the best special effects DP on a film. <laughs> like made by or either Ridley Scott or um, uh, James Cameron. But I think the egos would collide and create like some kind yeah. of black hole that would destroy the universe. So... <laughs> That you'd never see that, but yeah, that's. But they had some very similar things. Where like they had incredibly successful commercial careers, because like Ridley Scott was basically a millionaire before he did this movie, so he's not really in the pocket of Fox when he does this movie. Like he has a he has a place to go. Yeah, he has a company called like Ridley and Associates. <laughs> it's just doing commercials. Because yeah, that's why it's like oh, he was a daring filmmaker. It's like well, yeah, he didn't have. I mean, all he would lose was money. Yeah. And a chance to continue to make movies the way he wanted to, which if you didn't give him that chance, he would go back to commercial stuff and do fine. <laughs> you know, he's got a ton of money. So I remember the thing when, when Michael, because Michael Bay, I think his big thing was he, he like created the Got Milk commercials. Okay. <laughs> and a bunch of other ones too. But I was like, I think that was like the big one. And like, he was already, like already a millionaire and he does bad boys. And like, even though like, you know, they got Will Smith, like he was still like a TV guy at that time. And like, he's driving around a Porsche and like the production can't afford the Porsche in that movie. So the Porsche he's driving is just Michael Bay's Porsche. <laughs> That's cool. That's putting your money where your mouth is like, yeah, yeah. take my Porsche. Uh, written by Dan O'Bannon based on a short story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shuset, who he went on to do the total recall screenplay. So he has yep. some, good credits there a lot of his other credits are just like based on character by all the alien adaptations yeah i also worked with carpenter on dark star okay yeah yeah. which was essentially a student film and he was going to be the special effects supervisor on hodarsky's dune we learned that <laughs> which like was i still want to see that movie made and then oh, what else did obanon do uh life force Oh yes, I've never. I've heard of that movie. That's one of those. It's a good uh, bad movie. It's one of those canon movies where they put a lot of money in a weirdly, kind of like, R-rated movie. Yeah, uh, sex space vampires. Oh, yeah, I did Return of the Living Dead. This is Dan O'Bannon I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he adapted. Uh, oh, he Total did Recall. Blue Thunder. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah, that that's movie. right. Blue Thunder. <laughs> oh, Heavy Metal. He did a segment for that. So. Yep. He's also a dark star guy, so yeah, these are all the dark. <laughs> also, I guess like I thought, I thought uh, Walter Hill was like like a writer on this, but he was just a producer on this movie because we like a lot of Walter Hill movies, even though they aren't necessarily great. But there's always something about them. Yeah, <laughs> which he takes, weirdly he enough, he takes also, chances. Sometimes they work. Well, literally, weirdly enough, this this year he put out the Warriors, like he directed that. <laughs> he oh, did he? Okay. <laughs> So imagine that setup. Like, oh well, I put out the Warriors and I also produced Alien. It's like, oh, so you're amazing, huh? 
This is one to watch. Because <laughs> we also did, ex- was it Extreme Prejudice? Okay. Yep. I keep wanting to say Extreme Measures, which, uh, if I remember recall, recall correctly, that is a stupid movie where Michael Keaton is like a serial killer and then they try to make him a hero at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> it's like the movie twist nobody cared about. <laughs> of course, the cast is Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, and John Hurt. And everybody, well, we'll get to everybody in this movie because it's, you know, it's a very, it's very uh, distinct, small yeah, cast. Very well-written, believable characters. Yeah. So we've act one. We open on a star field and we're panning onto a planet or I guess tracking. Panning's like if you moved your head. It's like, what's that over there? And you just do that. Tracking is like if you, what's that over there? And then you walked around it <laughs> to look at it. <laughs> Try to see all sides of it. Yeah, but you're like walking around it where Panny would just be holding the camera in place and just moving it. Oh, yeah, do you want to show off your coat, I guess, to the YouTube watchers? Oh, yeah, this is the replica of the Nostromo jacket of Tom Skerritt's. It's not a very accurate or good one, but it's the one I did (laughs) uh, because I'm not a body double for Tom Skerritt then or now. (laughs) So I had to like kind of find a jacket that sort of looked like it. Because all the props in this movie are based off UK military surplus. Yeah. And so these are like, um, uh, not part of these jackets originally. These are like compression laces for G-suits if you're flying in fighter craft. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a compression suit, but it's all made of stuff like this. Well, they just cut them off that and put them on jackets. So when it came time for Nathan to try to do this in the 2000s, well, you know, I don't have access to UK military surplus from the 60s. <laughs> so I had to try to fabricate all this stuff. And, of course, the patches you can get on the Internet from anywhere. But, yeah, this is the uh, – uh, and, yes, this is light pink. It's like white, but you put it in red dye and, and then run it through bleach real fast because everything on these – on my coat had to be artificially weathered and aged to look as close as possible. <laughs> and it's got the lettering on the back, but it's straight because I didn't have a machine that could curve, make the template curved exactly. Cause as it curved it, it made it wider and then it wouldn't fit on the back of the jacket. And I'm not an engineer and I don't know how to do that <laughs> stuff. So yes, yeah, so I made this years and years and years ago and it was a lot of fun to do it. And I used to wear it around, but it led to conversations like people just wanted to come up and talk to me. Like, yeah. that's cool. It's like, is that from the movie? I was like, no, I made it. It's like, oh, it looks exactly like it. And I'd be like, well, no, actually, it doesn't look anything. <laughs> it sort of does, but this is why where it's wrong. <laughs> Nathan, not taking a compliment in the wild because he's suspicious. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't really want to have conversations. It's, it's like, I mean, if I saw someone wearing that, I'd be like, cool, and I'd keep going. It's like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to have conversations, especially ones that are like beyond like, cool jacket, thanks. It's like, so what did you think about the scene where it's like, I'm buying cookies right now. I don't, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. So it led, so I don't wear it out in public anymore, but it was, it was, it's, it's fun. It was fun to make it. Uh, it's a very uh, particular piece of, um, it's something like approachable. It's, you know, it's not like I'm going to be my own Star Wars character or something. It's like, yeah, lots of people do that. It's like, who wants to be on the from the crew of a doomed spacecraft where almost everyone dies. It's like, oh, okay. Well, it's also, I mean, the way that the, the coat's supposed to work is like, you know, they're just truckers in space. So, you know, got some compression sleeves and then, you know, just some stuff, some logos you throw on your jacket. So. Yeah, and it was literally just thrown together. Like, I, I don't, uh, it's become like more iconic over, like everyone knows what this is. So it's become 
more iconic or at least as iconic as time goes by but yeah a lot of the costuming in this movie was really unique because it looked oh. um it, again it's this is supposed to be like in the year I don't know, 21, 22 or something. So it's like yeah. everything's in the future, but not so far in the future we wouldn't recognize or understand any of it. Uh, and it's also a corporate spacecraft, so it's not done at the behest of a government like NASA or something where everything's clean and white. It's like, no, it's a dirty thing. And here's your crappy uniforms that the last crew wore. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I hope you stay warm in them because you're in the middle of space. Yeah, and also, I don't think I realized to like maybe like a third viewing of this years ago of like these sort of Russian nesting doll of ships in this movie where you see this big ship and like, what the hell is that's the ship? It's like, no, that's like the hauler. And then the then the Stromo is just kind of on the front of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the like escape ship where that's a different ship. <laughs> and all these names come from different Joseph Conrad books, too. <laughs> okay. Nostromo is the name of a character in the book Nostromo. The Sulaco is the ship that the guy goes up the river in in Heart of Darkness. Now, that's in Aliens, that's Sulaco. And it's a Conestoga-class ship, which is like that's a wagon and also the fictional name of the country, I believe, in one of the books that Joseph Conrad wrote. And then the escape pod is called Narcissus, which is also a Joseph Conrad book. But that's not the whole title of the book, but I can't say it out loud anymore because you're not supposed to use that word, so... Uh, but it, the, the the name Narcissus had a had a character name in front of it. So, uh, but you'll have to look that up if, on your own. Uh, it's Joseph Conrad. Well, the works I, I'm of, aware of a movie called The Black Narcissus. Is, is there something related to that? Yes, it is that. But it's instead imagine another okay. word instead of calling it black. That's that actually uh, the yeah. title of the book. Yeah, use your use your Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we open on a star field. This is a good '70s star field because it's kind of has depth to it. It's not just dots in the sky. There's like the, the you got like the dust of the rings of the planet or whatever on there. Yeah. Um, we got creepy music by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, this is the weirdest uh, soundtrack you don't hear but recognize as soon as you hear it later, because <laughs> uh, the soundtrack in this is very subtle. Yeah. You also get the alien title comes in one hash mark at a time, which I remember the trivia behind that being that like that's like marking off their deaths or something like that. I don't know if that's true, but maybe I don't. <laughs> Sounds cool. <laughs> that's one of those things. Like, I guess if you want, like, you know, like if everyone's hitting on all cylinders, it's like, what are we gonna do for the opening? Like, I have this idea, <laughs> or they just did it by accident and found it backwards, and it's like that. Now this is what this means. Yeah, it's either the Pink Floyd and Wizard of Oz effect, or they're subtle geniuses. It's like you yeah. can claim either way; you can't disprove or disprove it. No, the other end's the Verhoeven effect. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. If they didn't intend it, that's the Verhoeven effect. Yeah. <laughs> if they, well, I mean, I guess that's the Verhoeven effect well, quandary. Like, did they intend it or not? Like, yeah, well, they can the claim point. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we fade to a spaceship with four pillars. Which does this have a name? The hauler or whatever? Well, the hauler is the Nostromo. That's the is thing it? on the front. Yeah, that's a Lockmark M twenty four Bison hauler. Okay. Um, which is would be a Lockheed Martin, but they say <laughs> the company's merged or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, but that's yeah, that's a uh, the thing that breaks off and goes down to the planet. That's the actual Nostromo. Okay. Yeah. Someone said the because that's an oil refinery they're pulling. Yeah. Because because the, the, there's a story behind the story in this that's never told in the movie. It's not necessary to know this stuff, but yeah. the reason things like the Nostromo exist is because there's no oil left on Earth. 
<laughs> so they're just hauling oil from deep space and refining it on the way home. <laughs> and then they come into Earth orbit and it gets pumped, I don't know, down by <laughs> somewhere. Because someone said like the actual main ship was called the Prometheus Platform, but I can't find any documentation that says yeah. that that's true. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know. There's a lot of things where people, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what this is. And then it becomes like common knowledge. And then, like, people, like, associated with the, like, movies will be like, no, we never said that. Yeah, yeah. So I remember something, like, because, like, it's always known, like, oh, the alien, it's the xenomorph. And everyone calls them xenomorphs. And then, like, we never called them that. Like, you called them that. Which I, so I don't know where that originates or when it started. But I think xenomorph starts in aliens. Okay. Because the first time you hear it is when a pwn's giving a briefing. And it's like, or no, when the, their lieutenant, Gorman? is yeah. giving a briefing and 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 uh, hudson is like oh it's a bug hunt as soon as he says xenomorph they're like ah oh, it's a bug hunt <laughs> this is a chicken <laughs> unit or whatever or, you know it's something in aliens but yeah that's yeah we get titles that come on screen it says commercial towing vehicle the nostromo crew seven cargo refinery processing 200 million tons of mineral ore <laughs> course returning to earth which i think it's kind of fascinating in like the whole alien franchise. I think we've been to earth for maybe five minutes. Yeah. It's so a hellhole. Yeah. You never want to go there. <laughs> well, I don't think we ever seen it be a hellhole. Cause I think we've only seen it with like, with like Wayland's like, you know, doing stuff on earth where he's being Elon Musk or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. And so we never actually see it. There's always been plans of like going to earth with aliens and then like, revealing what that is and they just never done it yeah maybe I we'll mean, get there yeah it's the, there is a whole expanded universe that is not a, actually the the free league alien rpg has fleshed out the universe pretty well because the question you'd ask like in the second and we'll get this in the second movie too but even now it's it's like this movie is so tightly focused like you don't know what's going on you know i mean these people are there's americans there's a British couple British guys and and they're on something called the UN at what is this called? <laughs> USCSS Nostromo. You don't even know what that means. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. So we're we're floating through space in a in an oil refinery slash mineral refinery, I guess, too. Um, but yeah, it just establishes that like this is a freighting expedition. These aren't military people, this isn't government, this is this is a commercial towing because you find out USCSS, whatever stands for United States Commercial Shipping Syndicate or something like okay. that. <laughs> but you don't find that out in the movie. You just find that out later. Well, there was a couple of great like encyclopedias they made for the alien universe that like explains like every little tool and thing like that. But then but then somebody will be like, that's not canon. It's like, well, I bought it. So f you. <laughs> yeah, it's my it's canon now. <laughs> Uh, we get a long shot inside the spaceship. There's just like elaborate corridors and ceilings, which I remember that was another like Ridleyism is having a ceiling to a set to kind of make it claustrophobic. Yep. Um, which you'll see often in his movie, well, often in his like sci-fi movies. Um, some people have taken up that mantle. Some people haven't. I remember it was very present in the Blade Runner 2049, where it's like, okay, didn't he maybe followed the followed the formula? So. Yeah, it makes sense. That's why it's it's a good follow up to that movie. <laughs> um, no heavy lifting with him. He only <laughs> picks the easy movies to remake and develop sequels to. <laughs> I think he hates himself secretly. 
<laughs> oh, he's French Canadian, so you know. <laughs> it's a and pain and a pleasure together. And he comes from a very wealthy, rich family. No, oh, so he's not taking chances either. It's, no. Well, if I do this, it works great. I'm a hero. If not, I go I go work in the slaughterhouse my family owns or whatever. Because I know there's an F1 racer. He's, I forget his name. It's, it's Villeneuve. There's there's multiple of them. His, his dad died in a car wreck or died in a car crash, and then he went on to become a, a Formula One champion. And then there's a circuit in... Oh, where the hell do they race? They're racing. I think they race in Toronto. I can't remember. And it's Circuit de Vanelli Vanelli View. And it's like, oh, is that the same family or is that coincidence? It's like, no, it's the same no, family. Same, same billionaires. Because <laughs> like Denis Villeneuve, his is is like his cousin or no nephew or something like that. Okay. Or, or I forget. They're related. So yeah. it's just a bunch. It's a huge rich family. Yeah, I, I don't know how far it goes. I don't know if they're like the Rockefellers of, of Canada or something like that. Well, in your F, in F1, it's at least $100 million. At least. <laughs> That's where it starts. Are there any Rockefellers still around? Is that wealth just still holding still and somebody just has the name and just does I'm, whatever? Well, it divides by however many heirs there are every generation. Yeah, but I haven't heard of anybody named Rockefeller for, you know, <laughs> decades. <so. laughs> I mean, someone could have had all girls and the name doesn't carry on, but the money still exists. Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, cuz uh, as as it seems with billionaires, if you have wealth, your wealth makes wealth and then you don't need to do everything anything ever again. Yeah. It's the beauty of it all. But then, <laughs> but then for some reason instead of like moving to a uh, a cabin on a mountain and just living that simple life with like you know electrified fences all around you for miles no they want to like buy social media sites and put you know child pornography and nazi <laughs> stuff on there and be like what's everyone's problem it's like <laughs> well it's illegal and it's wrong and it doesn't make anyone comfortable so we're moving about the ship and there's kind of just stuff moving by itself yes uh i don't know one what that's about up. i mean i'm guessing the the I'm guessing why some of that stuff is moving is because the like HVAC system is turning on for the people that they're about to wake up. Yeah, but, I, th I think. But there is the cat carrier moving around. Like, is the cat alive and they haven't been fed for years? What's going on here? <laughs> or does the cat carrier have a cryo chamber unto itself? <laughs> I think the cat was in the or chamber. Or is the cat not Bono. even in the that, that thing? No, I think is it, it was it, in the chamber with Ripley. Okay, all right. Oh, is that Ripley's cat? Because I wasn't sure about that. No, I think it's the crew cat, but it always survives. Like Jonesy makes it to the next movie. Okay. Because so. it seems like because it did see it seems like Ripley has no concern for Jonesy's well being until the end of the movie. It was like, wait, whose cat is this? <laughs> it's the ship's cat. <laughs> uh, computer screen comes to life and starts spinning out data. It's reflected on a helmet. Kind of cool. Yeah. Because you don't know, wait, is somebody sitting there? I was like, oh, no, that's a helmet. And it has, like, and it's over, like, an, I don't know if it's, like, a part of the helmet or they just put it over an emergency button. But it's, like, set over, like, there's a button that says emergency push inside the helmet. No, you, like, you hit that button and you can put your helmet on. It's the emergency release for the helmet. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking. 
You hardly ever see spacesuits in this movie except for one time. And when you find out about how those suits were made and what it did to the actors, you're like, oh, yeah, this is why. they." seems like every movie with cool spacesuits, it's like they're a nightmare for the actors. Oh, yeah. This, well, Event yeah, Horizon, it's like they're terrible. Because they have to make them big enough so you can see the actor's face. Which, like, in real life, you just make, like, two small holes and, like, a protective like thing but no you have to build it so it's camera friendly so it's like yeah it always weighs a hundred pounds and it's hotter than hell and it's yeah which they kind of figured out because i think they figured out how to put like small hvac systems on the thing because you can see the problem in here is that people the glass starts to condensate as their yes. breath builds up inside which now they make those so that that won't happen and they're just yeah you know, modern like these spacesuits they'll do two things they'll either spend the money on the suit so it's very, it's very clear. You can clearly see the actor's face, or they'll just put the actors in a motion tracking suit and then build the suit on them with CGI. Yeah, and uh, basically both ways work. Because if you ever seen the movie Gravity, essentially, she never has a spacesuit on that entire movie. Like literally, it's all CGI on top of her for most of it. Yeah, and that's still a great movie. So. Yeah, I mean it works. You don't really. It's not what you're really paying attention to. No, no. It's just like uh, what you're paying attention to is Space's concerted effort to kill Sandra Bullock. <laughs> it's like, why does Space want her dead so bad? Um, hallway lights up. Uh, oh, yeah, this also had a very... I don't know. Do you... <laughs> I guess, were you young enough to see any advertising for this movie, like, live? Or you just oh, you mean later? the original trailer? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've, I've watched it on YouTube. Uh, it's a very effective trailer. But yeah, this is the original. This is like a great uh, tagline where in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which would actually be true. Yeah. Um, unless they're touching you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then you could feel the vibrations. <laughs> yep. You could feel the screams or vibrations. <laughs> Which is funny because when I was looking for that one trailer, I imagined in my mind of Alien 3, I found a different Alien 3 teaser. And the tagline they had for that on earth everyone can hear you scream and they don't even go to earth <laughs> alien three god god bless it but boy did it have some problems <laughs> and that's what happens when like one guy directs it and they take it away from him and then the studio execs try to it's like how can we shape this into something cool that it isn't and make people watch it and it's like huh and then everyone's disappointed and pissed off because they felt like they were misled because they were, but they weren't misled by David Fincher. They were misled <laughs> by studio executives. I know there's a there's like a production of it on Audible of William Gibson's Alien Three, which I heard is amazing and weird. Yes, the 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 script from that is what uh, Freely used to create the Aliens uh, unit RPG. Okay. All the political stuff and everything that like makes like you know why why do we have colonial marines? Who do they fight? Uh, why are British and American people on on a ship together and and aliens? Like oh it, that script makes that explains it all. It's like who's the enemy? And it's like oh it's the German Russian uh, Chinese space syndicate <laughs> called the Union of Progressive Peoples, which is like we're fighting space commies. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That sounds very good. And there's no United States. It's the United Americas because North and South America are just one giant America now. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And then the British are, and the Japanese are their own weird. Because remember, 
like Kane has a patch. It's like the Union Jack, but it's a triangle. Yeah. Okay, that actually meant like that's the three world empire. It's the UK, Japan, and Australia are one political entity. But Australia is like the hellhole part of that. And Australians are like basically servants to the, because of course (laughs) the British and the Japanese just went right back to imperialism. (laughs) But they're so closely allied with the U.S. That's like this, because Weyland-Yutani is a British Japanese company, but it's flagged in America. So it's like, oh, well, so there's really only two factions. But you don't know any of this in Alien. No. It's just, yeah. This is great backstory for a set builder to like, what should this look like? And then you give somebody a history lesson. They're like, okay, got it. Yep. (laughs) But it all started in this movie. Like all the backstories and stuff in this movie were written, but never explained. Um, And they're written by Ridley Scott and some of the writers. It's like, but they were given to the actors as this is your character's backstory. We're never going to mention it really, yeah, but yeah. this is what motivates you. And then that those got leaked out like years later. It's like, oh, this is the alien universe. Because <laughs> remember, there was always a speculation that Alien, Outland, and Blade Runner were the same universe. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, but it's like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and there's also a lot of bleed over between Terminator and Alien. Yeah. Um, so, but it's like, they're not related. They just, they just, you but know. there is direct correlation between Alien and Predator. So. Yes, yes, there is. They because <laughs> have... they're owned by the same company. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the similarity. And that's as like then that that and that's how we ended up with superhero movies because that wrapped our imagination where it's like oh they're connected holy shit. I want to see the film franchise and then they never made it and then somebody had the gall to us like what if all these movies are connected and then it was cool for about a decade and now it's not. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like, Oh God, guys, we've got to come up with something original. <laughs> oh, by original, you mean we're going to go mine the, uh, uh, it's like how much more Philip K Dick stuff can we recycle? <laughs> uh, hallway lights up as the camera approaches a door. Uh, I don't know. The trivia on this is the door kind of looks like the Purina logo. And then that's supposed to mean they're alien chow. You know, have no idea if that's, yeah, intended that's intended from the front, or somebody just said that afterward after the fact. All the semiotics in this movie supposedly mean something, but when you ask like the production people, they're like, No, we just like took semaphore flags and like rounded them off and made them look futuristic. Because <laughs> you see a lot of those semiotics later in the movie when Ripley's like doing something to the ship's coolant system, and it's like, Yeah, those are all meaningless, like, <laughs> but it just looks like something futuristic. So, yeah, it depends on what you want to believe. Uh, the door opens and reveals the crew in sleeping pods, which I assume these are just cryopods, but I have they you know they don't explain it. So yeah, there's not like it seems like a deep sleep. Not there's no one like coming out of ice. Yeah, this um, is, or this isn't like the but also the, but the also we know horizon. from the sequel that we yeah. also know from the sequel that nobody ages in these pods. So. No, yeah. So like, usually that means cryo. <laughs> yeah, but there's no evidence of freezing here. Uh, they're in their underwear. We get Kane, played by John Hurt, is the first one to wake up. Uh, Apt name, because John Hurt always seems like he's in pain and hurting. So, (laughs) great actor for that. And eventually died horribly of cancer, so it just followed through his whole life. Yeah, it worked. (laughs) Um, He's the oldest-looking 30-year-old you'll see. (laughs) Oh, man. Have you heard of... Oh, what's his name? It's 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 like Brian Littler or whatever. You've heard of this guy? That name sounds familiar. What at what was, roles is he a, known for? He he's like a darts like competitor. Okay. And there was this there was there was this clip that that showed up on Reddit where it's like 
six-year-old champion like like makes his way to the top of the of the whatever and you see this guy come up who kind of looks like a drunk 30-year-old soccer fan and he throws like you know his darts and then walks away and like and then you wait for like the six-year-old to walk up and then like a 40-year-old guy bald guy walks up and was like oh wait that was the 16-year-old <laughs> god <laughs> must be a british thing yeah 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 heavy drink i don't know Apparently, it's like the most watched darts match in years. Like it even like outdrew other sports, and now he's in the Premier League of darts. So. <laughs> I don't know. Put Littler, like L I T T L E R, and darts, and see if something pops up. <laughs> okay, let me see. You'll see like a rosy-faced British kid, I guess, <laughs> who looks like he's in his thirties. Oh, this guy's sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, they do start drinking young over there, don't they? <laughs> What's the drinking age over there whenever it feels I right? I don't think there is one. Okay, so it's whenever it feels right. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I had that in my life, um, I would look like I'm 70 right now. I... <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we cut to it's breakfast time with the crew or whatever. You know, it just kind of looks like breakfast because they have those, like, containers of what looks like cereal. But, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. And, well, well somebody's eating cereal. Someone's putting milk in some oats or whatever. So, that's what's going on. But that it's a very Tupperware-friendly universe of yeah, meals. Yeah. <laughs> Something comes out of a slot, you pour milk on it, it's edible. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about, like, all the props in this movie is they don't just exist here as, like, background to be interesting. Like, everything's meant to be used if it could be. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly Tupperware, from what I understand. Even those cups with the Whalen yutani logo on them, that was Tupperware from the 70s. <laughs> Again, vacuum forming. Yes. I guess, well... Is Tupperware vacuum form? Mm, it could be. I don't know. It's plastic, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking of what's the glass stuff? Pyrex. Okay. Pyrex. That's what I'm thinking of. So, yeah, I'm going to just list the whole crew here. We get Harry Dean Stanton as Brett, a veteran character actor and hundreds of things. Basically, great in everything he's ever done. Yeah. Basically, the same <laughs> great guy in everything. I do like when Ridley Scott was begging him, trying. I talked to him multiple times, and Harry Dean Stanton was, "I don't like that sci-fi shit. And uh, Ridley Scott was like, "Yeah, neither do I." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess they bonded around that. Um, I don't know. If the, according to Ridley Scott, that happened. I don't know if that was real. But, I mean, Harry Dean Stanton was doing podcasts like into his nineties, talking to people about different things. <laughs> but he was kind of like, just like, "Yeah, you can come to my house and record me." I think, uh, didn't Mark Marin do one with Harry Dean Stanton? I don't know. There has to be. Because he was like just hanging out at Harry Dean Stanton's house. And Harry Dean Stanton was uh, just, like making stuff with leather. It's like, yeah, this is what I do. I and think he, he died in like 2018. He was he was one of the many casualties of the last season of Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. We got Yafat Koto as Parker. Another, I guess, character actor. Oh, he's been to hundreds of things. You probably recognize him from something. I remember him most as like the the police captain in Homicide Life on the Streets. Yeah, that's I remember him for that. And I remember what is the other thing about Yafet Koto that's interesting? Oh, he's the only one of the, the only black Jewish guy I've ever heard of. <laughs> okay. It was like no, it's like a practicing Jew. Like just yeah. it's like, wow, okay. I didn't think of that, but <laughs> great name though. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a cool you know that name. <laughs> I've never I know I don't know anybody with the last name Kodo. Definitely don't know anybody with the name Yafet. 
Yeah, well, once you find out like he was raised like Jewish, it's like, oh, okay, that name makes yeah. sense. It's like, huh. Uh, we get also Ian was um, let's see, was an interesting guy. He died like quite recently, huh. I think a couple of years ago. He was a, he was a um, I know he was a Trump supporter, a supporter <laughs> of Black Lives Matter and QAnon. Oh, okay, a complicated man. Yeah, it's like he seemed to have a lot of parallel beliefs. Um. Or just did not um, was not dissuaded by listening to other people's ideas. Yeah, he just I'm, it's like I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> Could very well be true. Everything's valid. <laughs> well, I remember I first heard about the stuff because uh, of one of the commentaries on Alien. I think Sigourney Weaver was talking about like uh, Yafakoto required. Um, what are the what's what do Jewish people eat? Um, it has oh, to be um, food that's kosher, kosher, required kosher meals. And she was like, what? And he had to explain to her, he was like, no, I'm Jewish. I'm raised Jewish. Like, oh, okay. He, she'd never seen a black guy that was Jewish <laughs> before. He was like, huh. That and she probably never saw a Jewish guy in Hollywood uh, follow <laughs> follow that either. Yeah, probably. was like, oh, <laughs> he's living the, the whole thing. He's, yeah, living, he's living the word, as they say. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Jewish, but hand me that BLT. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't got time for that shit. I'm a bacon Jew. <laughs> uh, he's Parker. We get Ian Holm as Ash. Yes. His other famous role is he's Bilbo in the in the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the 2000s. I always think of him as the uh, the the Queen's physician in From Hell. Okay. He did a really good job as that. He was the actual Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he did a great job and was kind of a mediocre movie, but he really stood out. Get Veronica Cartwright as Lambert, who she's probably like the least featured in this movie. Uh, I guess maybe it might be a part of her career. I heard, I heard like her and her sister were like kid actors, and her sister was like in The Sound of Music, so she was more popular, but. Veronica Cartwright, like, still working. She's basically a character actor. She's been in hundreds of things. Yeah, she was. Wasn't she the mom in Flight of the Navigator? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought I, I knew I remembered her from that. And I, uh, there was, oh, there's a couple of them. I think she was in The Witches of Eastwick. Yes, yes. And then I don't know I guess what they've she's done, done. I guess they've done updates then. to that. And so she returns to do those things, too. Oh, okay. Because there's been more witches of Eastwick things, and so she was in that television. Yeah, she does a lot of television now, but um, I can't remember what else. I think she was. In, I think she played one of the astronauts' wives in the Right Stuff too. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I forget, and I don't remember which one. I'm not gonna look it up, but yeah. Uh, I get Tom Skerritt as Dallas. I feel like I know Tom Skerritt, but then I try to think of Tom Skerritt movies, and nothing comes to mind. <laughs> Do you have a history of Tom Skerritt movies, Nate? I don't. Um, he was in Mash. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to think of whatever he was. Oh, he's he was in the Top sh- Gun. Yeah, he was the guy in Top Gun. He was the sheriff in um, the Dead Zone with um, oh, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Uh, he did a lot of. I feel like he's more of a TV guy than a movie guy. I think later he did become more of that. Uh, I'm trying to look up what he did before he was an alien, because I know there's that narrative about, like, oh, he's supposed to be the the hero, but 
Looks like he was in t- a lot of TV stuff. He was in Ice Castles. That was a big romance thing. He was like the third guy in that. Okay, I don't even know what that is. It's a, a ice skating movie. Okay. It's if you, if, yeah, chicks like it. It's a chick movie. What's Turning Point or The Turning Point? It's about hey, ballet. I... Okay, interesting. <laughs> ice skating and ballet. Was he a dancer or something? I don't remember. <laughs> probably the He's from Detroit. Huh. He went to Wayne State, so he was not, not only is he from Detroit, he went to school there. Then he went to UCLA. Okay, so he he struck out west. Oh, he was also in the Air Force for a long time too. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's like ninety. I didn't realize he was that old. <laughs> um, how old is Ed Harris? I feel like Ed Harris isn't. Yeah, he's seventy three. Okay. He actually, uh, he actually seems way older than that. I guess I don't know. Well, he's always been bald. You only know yeah. Ed Harris is a bald guy, so that yeah. makes him um, that adds twenty years. And then, of course, we have Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. Yep. Who presumably, like, she's a nobody at this time, and nobody knows who she is. So it's a surprise. Well, it's like your first not. speaking role in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, yeah, it's a baby face Sigourney Weaver here. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was trying to like look up like because I was like surprised that she was like thirty when she did this, and I was looking at Sigourney Weaver through the decades, and so it's like in eighty nine she's in Ghostbusters two, <laughs> and then in ninety nine she's in Galaxy Quest, so she'd be fifty then, and arguably maybe at her hottest, I guess, you know. But yeah. <laughs> again, two guys just evaluating the, <laughs> a woman for how sexy she is, but hey, I don't know. <laughs> and then let's see her. Then, yeah, 2008, she's in Avatar. So then she's in her 60s there. And then and last year, she's in, or I guess two years ago, she's in Av- the next Avatar movie, you know, when she's like in her 70s. <laughs> but, you know, Lord knows when they shot that. So she could have shot that when she was. Still well, she's going to be in Avatar movies until she's into her 80s. And she also did that, you know, that crazy thing. Well, I guess, you know, I probably, I guess probably, yeah. I bet Cameron's like the same age as her or something like that. Because, you know, she did that crazy shooting thing in the latest Avatar movie where, like, they all had to, like, hold their breath for, like, eight-minute shots underwater. Because, like, they couldn't have them with scuba tanks and do scenes, so they just had to do free diving. God. <laughs> yeah. God, Cameron's 70. Oh, okay. 69. I'm sorry, 69. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Wayne's World, they did that. <laughs> Um, there's a, there's a beep from mother, which I guess is just the computer. Yeah. But it's also supposed to represent the company or something. Yes. But it's not a direct communication because they never actually end up in communication with anybody else outside the ship. No. Yeah. There is no faster than light communication here. There's just protocols written into things. If this happens, then do this. If that happens, then do that. Cause they're still bound by the light barrier. Because I think it was only this time that I recognized that, like, oh, they're not, like, talking to somebody when they go into that computer room. It's just coming from the computer. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the so, way yeah, Mother's so... spelled, it's M-U-T-H-U-R. Oh, right. And it huh. looks like murder. <laughs> if you look at it from a weird... Um, yeah, Full it's... Verhoeven effect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we get an eyes-only message for Dallas. Dallas goes in the computer room where it's like bright white room filled with lights. 
This is the one that kind of looks 70s. Like, this kind of looks like a set from, like, 2001 A Space yes. Odyssey. Yes, it very much does. <laughs> um, the crew is manning the cockpit, and they're taking a look around, and they find out that they aren't anywhere near Earth. <laughs> so, they're like, what happened? Why did we get waked up, woken up? Because they're expecting to wake up and then, like, drop their load off at Earth and then, like, take in their, their, their payday and then, like, I don't know go blow it on drugs <laughs> yeah I, I got a feeling a few of them are not going to be using it <laughs> ripley's like start putting out a broadcast so she's kind of like the comms officer but i don't yeah i don't know exactly what her job is she is she is a warrant officer in what would essentially what we would call the merchant marines now okay. it would operate that way so she is like um right underneath dallas in terms of rank, but she also like, so her, cause they, I mean, they have different, they have kind of different jobs that, cause it's essentially, I forget how it works. It's like, it's, it's a uh, Tom's uh, Dallas is the captain. Uh, Kane is like this sub commander or commander. And then it would be Ripley is the, like, she's like a warrant officer. And then Veronica Cartwright is a navigator and then Kodo and Stanton are like uh, engineers. Yeah. <laughs> and Holmes is like a science, science of- officer. Science yeah. officer. <laughs> but then Ash yeah. is all, or Kane is also a science officer. So it kind of gets weird. <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot of stuff to do. So you have multiple yeah. roles. You know, like every other corporation, it's like, why have 10 people do this job when you can have seven? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah do, you know, do you know what a warrant officer is, Nathan? <laughs> A warrant officer is basically. Um, it might be different. I know my. I have my. I'll let's see what you think come up. I have my own experience with what a warrant officer is. Well, and in the merchant marine, because I'm only basing this on like like civilian, like quasi military stuff. So in the merchant marines, that would be like a is a non commissioned officer, which means they didn't graduate from officer's school but they are given like a writ that says they're an officer for you yeah. know what whatever whatever role they're filling like a lot of pilots yeah. in World War II are considered like warrant officers cuz they like didn't graduate from the academy but we need guys to fill this role so they're yeah. changed so we're going to give them it's like an old british term like writ of warrant or something and it's <laughs> yeah so that's what i understand it as being yeah that's right. Yeah, they didn't go. They don't go through officer school, although they do go through a sort of warrant officer school. So it's nowadays, but yeah, they're essentially there are they are enlisted guys who are the masters of their MOS, and then they become officers and they kind of control the training of their MOS. Yeah, uh, and you you have to salute them because they are considered officers, and they love to be. They love to. Uh, they they're great at solving problems and they are your worst enemy too. So they, they just, they just know everything. Yeah. They're, they're a little, they're like a slice of mutational hell. They can go any direction <laughs> they want to on the board. It's, yeah. <laughs> but in, in like for commercial shipping and stuff, uh, a warrant officer can be a load master, an engineering specialist, a navigation specialist, um, materials and repair. I don't know what I'm just looking off a list. <laughs> But, you know, this is all made up world, so he doesn't know what it is. It just sounds yeah. cool. It's like, oh, he's a warrant officer. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, Brent and Parker go through a noisy deck and mechanical stuff, which I don't exactly know what this is. Like, I guess it's just the hall, but this is more like the hall than the Nostromo. Like, the stuff in the Nostromo, they're not necessarily going into the ore refinery. Actually, ever. the ore refinery is un... 
is is you'd have to go in a spacesuit because they don't build okay. an atmosphere in there, so they're only on the Nostromo. Okay. So that's like yeah. the if you think of a semi truck, this is like the the front of the this is like the nose of the trailer is hooked on to the actual thing that drives it, like the tractor. Yeah. It's actually the Nostromo is called a tractor at one point. <laughs> so it's like yeah, so nose to tail is un. It's not an not an environment you can live in. So. Uh, and then we get the, the crew gathered together and ta- Dallas tells the crew that they're pulling out of sleep to intercept a beacon of unknown origin. So yeah. I have that being the end of act one. Cause it's like, you gotta go find the beacon. <laughs> uh, so act two, uh, they take the Nostromo and holler to the, the planet with the oh, beacon. interesting point here. Now there was, there was a scene where they Dallas tells, uh, tells them to play, play the signal we got. And they play a signal which just sounds like a bunch of weird noise, um, but it's kind of low key, and it's like, what the hell's that? You know. Now remember the trailer, the original trailer for for yeah. Alien, where it's like, bang, bang, and, and you hear screaming and whirring. Okay, that was the original signal they got. Huh. But so, and when they played it in the movie, that's why the one guy's like, what the hell is that? Because that was what they were supposed to be hearing, not the more low key one that they actually played. Oh, okay. So the, the, the signal from the, uh, the the original signals can be found in the trailer or on a ex- deleted scenes version of the DVD where it's like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere where that's emitting that signal. Because <laughs> later on in the movie, we find out where it's like, because Ripley is feeding it through the computer and she's talking to Ash. And it's like, our computer's saying this sounds like a warning, not necessarily <laughs> a help me signal. Yeah. Uh, and Ash is like, uh, silly woman no he doesn't say that but, you know it's kind of like yeah he knows <laughs> and like i i guess this is like oh this is the this is the ever known lv426 which i think that's only named in aliens is, is it named here that or that's it not named at all you know i don't remember i don't think his name that here though okay the world building in this is like the nostromo and yeah. that's kind of like the universe this exists in. Well, I mean, there's also stuff where it's like, you know, I know Waylon Utani from the rest of the series, and I don't think anybody ever says Waylon Utani. But if you look all over the ship, there's stuff that says yeah, Waylon Utani. All the patches on their uniforms or the signal symbol of the company, the coffee cups, the uniforms. It doesn't say Waylon Utani, but if you look up closely, like the cigarettes do, but you have to really like <laughs> zoom in and stuff. Um. They detach the Nostromo. I guess they, this isn't a planet. This is a moon because it's like orbiting like a, a like kind of a Saturn with yeah. rings and stuff like that. Um, they have a hard landing, which causes a bunch of stuff to short circuit or something, which I don't remember this being a thing, but I guess this is what helps make like, you know, everyone's sort of like, oh, it's dark in here. All the lights are open. So, you know, I guess I'm not sure if they did that for the excuse of like why the lighting is the way it is or they just needed some drama <laughs> well it's drama well they 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 hint around at it because when they're moving when they're using the blade runner of uh, ship through the city effects where they're moving through the boxes as a corridor remember yeah. they say the moon had a very high albedo which means it's moving very quickly and so you know and like i said this isn't like a spe- this isn't the uh this isn't the prometheus where it's a deep <laughs> space exploring vessel this is just designed to, you know, pick things up that are heavy yeah. and tow them. This is a semi truck going down to the planet. <laughs> so yeah, they're basically landing on a golf ball that's spinning like this, <laughs> and all these guys are not necessarily top flight people because if they were, they would be in the military or something in this universe. So yeah, they kind of they kind of screw up the landing a little bit because they're also not using equipment designed to land on stuff like that. 
So there is like, it is set up to like, oh yeah, this is why the ship gets screwed up a little bit when they land. But if you're not paying attention to it, and it doesn't really matter, but they do throw a line in there like, yeah, this planet's moving very quickly. This is going to be really hard to stick this landing near the signal. Um, and the, the effects they do with the rockets are really, really well done because essentially it's just lights turning on and then they kind of put like smoke and water dripping out of it and it makes it look like, it gives off the effect like, oh, it's a rocket pushing it when it's just a light turning on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a chemical rocket or maybe a nuclear one. Yeah. Um, but it's not, you know, it's what do they call that? That's a French word for that kind of rocket of like brisance or something. It's like, it's not violent, but you know, there's power in it just by the way it's lit and how it looks. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah. that's propulsing that away from the <laughs> thing. Uh, and we got Parker and Brett do like a damage report. They say like they need to dry, they need to fix the ship and dry dock. So they kind of make it seem like a peril here that like, Oh, the ship's falling apart, but that doesn't really, isn't really a concern for the rest of the movie. So. Well, you got to remember too, Par Parker and uh, the other, they're like the blue collar guys of this yeah. expedition. And they're not getting, they want danger pay. They want cut in at a higher bonus because they're doing this because they know correctly, like anything you do that's not on mission, on mission enough is dangerous in deep space. It's like that's yeah. death on its own. We're doing like we're landing places. We're investigating stuff. It's like, yeah, our chances of just dying in most the most mundane ways have just gone up catastrophically. <laughs> you know, that's why he's always like, we need to talk about the bonus situation. And yeah, Dallas like, is yeah. just management. And he's like, look, we finish the mission. We'll worry about the bonus. And yeah, yeah. Parker and Brett are basically like the union guys. Cause they're the ones like, no, we know like we need to take advantage of the situation. Cause they're fucking us. Cause even they're like, like they're trying to guess how long it'll take to fix it. And, Brett's like 17 hours and then, and then Parker gets on the walkie. He's like, I'll take 25 hours. <laughs> and then Ripley wants to like cut in and be like, Hey, cut the shit, you guys. It's not going to take that long, <laughs> which is weird. It's like, cause kind of start out being Ripley is like the, you know, like one of the like management or something. It's like, what does she do? <laughs> She's kind of the bridge between two worlds. Yeah. Because it makes it seem like she's gonna come down and fix stuff, but she just come down. She just comes down and kind of knows stuff rather than fixes anything. Uh, yeah, we, they talk about that the beacon's still putting out a message every twelve seconds. They've landed within walking distance, so they prepare a landing party to head out. It's like cold atmosphere. They're in spacesuits. The landing party is Lambert, Dallas, and Kane. Which Kane is like all for this. He's like he's like he's raging. excited. Yeah. <laughs> Great scene, great light use of light in this scene. Yeah. Like when they walk out of the airlock of the Nostromo and that one light's just spinning around real fast <laughs> and there's just lots of, you know, steam and stuff flying around everywhere. Also, I didn't realize it's supposed to be daytime here, but like the atmosphere is so dark that like the light doesn't really come through. But like you see like a thing, like a bright thing in the sky, but it's not really lighting everything up. It's like, oh, that's the sun. And like, that's as much as it can get through the atmosphere. Yeah, it's a very thick atmosphere. Um, yeah, which makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely a, a craft would crash here because <laughs> it's not a forgiving place. Yeah, this is where we have Ripley talks, like has a contiguous talk with Brett and Parker. Ripley works on getting a message to mother. This is also where I see like on the one of those television screens that says Waylon Yutani. Um 
did the, I, I saw this on Hulu. Did they redo like the computer graphics? Because they look like too good in the version I saw. <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay, they look like way too clean. Like they just like fixed those in post or something. I mean, that could very well have you know. I mean, the ones I I have two copies of this movie. I have the one from the Alien, like quadrilogy or whatever, yeah. and then I have like just a regular special edition, and they all look this i mean i believe those were like cg generated computer graphics put in later i don't think that like they actually filmed that as is okay uh, but but I, I don't mean cg like modern i mean at the time i don't think that i think they were looking at blank screens and they just added that in later okay because i don't think they could get computers to look that good back then yeah that's what i was suspecting because the screens look a little flat <laughs> some of them do look like CRT screens, but some of them seem a little flat. It's like, oh, okay, they put that in later. I mean, there is a lot of a lot of movies like they won't film a screen because, especially, you'll you'll get that uh, the refresh line because television screens put out a different output than a film camera. Because yeah. usually, usually uh, TV put out thirty frames a second and film cameras are twenty four. Okay, and and so you'll see a refresh line because of the they are they are in sync and so some movies will make a special tv that will be in sync with the camera but also a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just make that a blue screen and then add it in later that's a very common thing to do <laughs> um although some of this stuff it's like no that's physically there because there's some things where there's like a shadow being projected out of the screen or or whatever or light being projected out of the screen. It's like, okay, they didn't put that in post. That looks too, like, real. <laughs> um, the landing party trekked their way to a weird-looking ship. It's like an asymmetrical horseshoe. There's, like, two ends, and they have different kind of bulbous shapes on each end. Yeah. So you guess definitely showing off it's an alien ship, which I think that's just another... Isn't that another Giger painting? Just the ship on a hill or whatever yes create that here okay um they go inside the alien ship you know i guess we technically don't know it's an alien ship yeah but here we get here we get like the full giger aesthetic where it's just like skin tightly wrapped over bony structures (laughs) and this set by the way the i think it was the biggest set ever built on the studio because this is a full-size set yeah. I mean, they hadn't done that since like Ben Hur, like where they build a full size. It was like the most expensive part of the movie right here, or one of them. So I know I know there's several scenes um, to make it look even bigger when you see the guys walk around. Oh, yeah. It's, it's children. Actually just, it's, yeah. yeah. It's just like it's literally Scott's kids and some other kids to make it look bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was two reasons that happened. Uh, they could take the suits off at the knees and put the kids in them because the adult actors and the stunt people were actually getting to the point they were passing out because they were so hot. Yeah. Because those suits had nine special effects controls built into them that guys had to follow along with. There was like the lights. I remember the steam that would shoot out of their head when they breathed. Yeah. Okay, there was a guy running a thing, doing that, following along, and there was some other stuff that went on they had nine, like, because the suits, like, there were mechanical things going on on the front of them. Uh, and it actually looked pretty cool. But, yeah, it was miserable for the actors. <laughs> it was absolutely miserable. And as far as I know, the alien suit's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, let's just wrap you tightly up in something and then have it so you're and have it so you sweat and then you're and then your sweat can't evaporate. So you're just like hot and terrible and sweaty and sticky and can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spring in. Yeah. Getting getting uh, sleepy from the CO2 you're bringing in. <laughs> um, let's see. Here. Uh, yeah. Kang climbed up and sees the space jockey. <laughs> which i called it the rocket jockey at first but then i put that in it was like oh that's a video game it's space jockey what this is or it's like a it's yeah it's some large form vaguely humanoid embedded in a chair that looks like it has either a large gun or telescope on the end of the chair yeah <laughs> and then does it have like an extra large face hugger on it no that's just a that's just like well you don't know then but yeah. now it's it's like it's yeah it's like part of the structure of its uh, of its helmet or its face. Oh, okay. You're not sure because it has a hole in the side of it, like where yeah, something we know, blew yeah, out we know of it's, it. Yeah, yeah, it's been alienized. But I wasn't sure if like the the thing on its face, like is that an extra large face hugger? But um, I was not sure because I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen that one that big. So yeah, it must have just been the aesthetic of the thing. But also yeah, just I don't know what that chair is doing, but that chair, it looks like yeah even even dallas says it looks like it's growing out of the chair yeah so it's like well what the hell happened there <laughs> what kind of chair is this yeah we don't know it's just a giant alien only in later movies do we find out like oh it's actually yeah, a spacesuit yeah, and there's to... like a giant human inside there yeah. or or whatever prometheus yeah engineer that's engineer <laughs> but even though they're like 99 percent human but they're just giant <laughs> and they all look exactly the same and yeah it's all kind of weird <laughs> but yeah this is just another like another giger painting just brought to life just for interest it's like what's that it's like that's up to you to decide <laughs> yeah yeah because um, then uh the, the the version of this movie i watched with the director's commentary this was before prometheus or anything and that's exactly what he said it's like yeah we're just leaving this up to the up to the uh, viewer to decide what this is he, yeah. he didn't have any ideas or at least wasn't sharing them when he cut that director's uh, commentary, so <laughs> but yeah, he said yeah, there's a hole in the chest of the of this alien, and, and Dallas says the bones are spread outward, like something came out. So, yeah. It's foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, "Oh, decompressions." I don't know. <laughs> uh, Kane finds a hole in the deck, so they just head in. We cut back to Rick, Ripley decodes the the beacon as being a warning rather than like a like a SOS. She wants to go out and warn them, but Bash, Ash gets weird about it and discourages them. Like, no, no, you'll 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 get there. It'll be too late. So, if anything bad has happened, it'll have already happened. So there's no reason to go out there. Which I'm like weird. Is like, don't they have like telecommunication going on? But I guess not. No, there's too much interference from the atmosphere. Oh, okay. Because they thought they, thought they would. Because Dallas is talking, and all of a sudden he's breaking up, and he's like, ah, oh, the oh, atmosphere is okay. creating comms problems. Okay, that makes sense then. So that's why Ripley couldn't get her message through. Not like Dallas would have stopped, but. You know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Kane goes down in the alien cargo bay. It's full of smoking lasers, which plus what she calls leather eggs. Yes. <laughs> Another terrifying sentence. <laughs> um, he talks about the like the laser being like some sort of trigger or something, but it just kind of he like, crosses it and it creates a sound. I don't know if it like triggers the eggs or triggers a warning. You know, this is up for you to decide. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, if I saw a very... bunch of shit like that under a bunch of laser beams, I'm not going to like, yeah, let's crawl down <laughs> in there and see what's going on. 
uh but yeah the the, the late smoke and laser stuff is like yeah this is definitely 80s stuff it's a great way to just have a dark scene and let the smoke you know you don't have to build a set if you can just breathe some smoke out there and hit it with the laser and like it'll, it'll kind of build detail unto itself and look neat so it's a very cheap way to have something look kind of like expressive and interesting <laughs> and then it got overused in the 80s and <laughs> Yeah, well, I heard in this scene particularly they had to hurry up because that set was very moist from all the because the <laughs> the smoke in that and uh, a lot of aliens was just like condensated water. Yeah, it wasn't just like a smoke machine because that gets hard <laughs> to breathe if you put too much of that in the room. So a lot of this was like condensed water and um, other things. And it's like, yeah, we better get this uh, electrical equipment out of here. We're gonna have a fire. It was a very <laughs> wet set, as I understand. <laughs> Which was a core part of the organic look too, was to like wet the set down. Yeah, yeah. Because everything had to look like a you know giant uterus or whatever. H.R. <laughs> Giger was always doing weird, and he's actually said that he was doing that stuff. It's not like an interpretation. Yeah. He was like, "No, this is the ladies' insides, <laughs> and this is what they look like." And yeah, and the alien uh, basically was supposed to look like a penis, and it's like, yeah, actually, it was. You know, they they admit all this stuff, but. opposite of phallic yonic <laughs> yeah there's a bunch of phallic and yonic stuff <laughs> anywhere you look it's oh like... yeah it's all over the place and this is really the only movie that's done in uh yeah it doesn't really yeah. do that but again this was the 70s and it's a weird time yeah yeah it's the end yeah. of the 70s after everyone has had all the cocaine and sex <laughs> and they're like yes this is a movie now <laughs> but it's also i mean like we watched barbarella too and that's just more straightforward but that's like camp phallic symbols and stuff like this and this is like like your nightmare phallic symbols. yeah <laughs> yeah barbarella looks like a fun sexy romp where this looks like oh sex is truly hell <laughs> sex not only is like the folly of man and it leads to sin but it is actually it's it's like oh no the phallus and the and the vagina, like, they open the door to, like, it's like the puzzle box in Hellraiser. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, wow. You really have a weird idea there, Mr. Giger, but okay. Uh, Kane approaches an egg. He puts his hand over it, and it kind of, like, there's a quick little sound is heard. Uh, then he sees some sort of life in the translucent bottom of the egg. And, again, this is unsettling. It's like, what's that? Ridley Scott's hands, as I understand, <laughs> okay. in, in, in gloves. Just moving around like in a shadow box inside there. Just, just tape some chicken to my to my hands and let's do this. Yeah, what is the Ridley Scott accent? Is he where is he from? Is he Scottish British. or British? He's British. British. Okay. I want to say he's a London guy, but I don't know. Let's see where he was born. It's there's gonna be some weird like Tinsdale on Tyne, which doesn't <laughs> tell me. Oh, South Shields, England. Okay. Uh. Well, I, I don't say okay. I just like okay, England. I don't know where that is. <laughs> and the bank of the river Tynes was known in Roman times as Alberia. What's their soccer team? <laughs> don't know. It'll tell me though. I'm on their Wikipedia page. <laughs> I know what their average precipitation is. Oh, they're considered British people if you're from there. Okay. That's the south of England. So yeah, he would be. Well, no. Where is that? It's kind of in a little bit in the north of England. I don't know. But he's not Scottish, so. No. Um, well, yeah, what, what's that? 
oh, I forget. It has a weird name for that kind of British accent that's kind of like proper. It's like what uh, perceived English. Oh. It's like well, I know there's a... something called received pronunciation. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Received pronunciation. Yeah. Which doesn't explain anything. <laughs> well, that's why they like they add uh, like when they say color. Or what's Put the other? The U in it. Yeah, they'll, they'll say it weird too. They won't say color; they'll say color. Color. Yeah. <laughs> the, my favorite one though is we say pedophile, they say pedophile. And it's like, why are you saying it like that? And it's like, well, that's how the word is. That's received pronunciation. It's like that's how the word presents. Aluminium. Yeah, aluminium. <laughs> um, what's the other? How, one? Do, how do they say jaguar? Jaguar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's just kind of how they roll. And then tire spelled with a Y for some reason. Yeah, but it's pronounced the same. Yeah. Um, that's just they they do weird things with consonants too. Like whenever they were talking about President Obama, it always it's always like, oh, Obama will be making a uh, state visit, but they're not. Say- <laughs> I'm saying Obama, but when they yeah. say it, it's like they're saying Obama, but then they just like throw an R on the end of <laughs> right at the end of the O. Oh, President Obama will be. It's like, what are you saying, dude? But I can't do that. I, mean, yeah, I remember it was a fun trick to doing a, a British accent, at least for one word. Um, to, to do a posh, or at least do one word of a posh British accent, you say ears, but you meant to, you're meant to be saying yes. So you go, ears. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So it's like, uh, sir, would you like the tea? Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, it's like the guys who round their R's. <laughs> Instead of really, they're like, will we? It's like, huh? But if you do that with a British accent, it sounds like proper. It's like, but if you do it with an American accent, it sounds like it was speech impediment. So. <laughs> Uh, the egg opens up and gurgles, and then the face hugger jumps out and attaches the Kane's helmet. Which you know they don't say call it the face hugger. I just know that from years of yeah, of the, that's what they call it in video games and movies and stuff like. I, actually, in video games, I don't think they ever say face hugger in the entire universe. <laughs> no, I don't actually. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think they do. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is a thing that just looks like lungs, a tail, and hands. Yep. <laughs> so it's a nightmare coming at you. Uh, it's very quick. It attaches to its helmet and then just cut away. And then all of a sudden, the landing party is coming back with Kane's unconscious body, which they seem to haul around very well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, it's like Lambert must be like built, like just, just <laughs> picking up this guy in a full size spacesuit. It's like she must be jacked. Because they're just dragging him along. He's not like, they're not just like holding him up and he helps log. They, they're just carrying dead weight, right? Yeah, it's what it looks like. Okay. Um, they get so in the I'm airlock. guessing they went down there and craned him back up because the reason he was down there by himself was they had to lower him down on a boom. Yeah, they, he does have a, a wire attached to him. Oh, so, so he never unhooked it. So they just pulled him back no. up. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, wouldn't the other guy go down there and get a face hugger? But yeah, maybe that. Because uh, I remember the wire. I was like, oops, is that a production mistake? He's like, oh, wait, no, he repelled down, so he's still attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they get back to the airlock, and there's an argument between Ripley and uh, Dallas, like, over quarantine and treatment. It's like, we don't know what that is, so he got quarantined for a day. It's like, And they're like, well, he could be dead by then, so we got to get him in there. And, of course, Ash is just chomping at the bit to let them in. So he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
then we cut to med bay here's where they slice open kane's helmet it's kind of a cool little thing looks yeah. like something from star trek <laughs> just and then the helmet just splits open uh the reveal the hate the face hugger on kane's face it's like a tail that has like wrapped around his throat it has like lungs that's like breathing for him because presumably like his helmet was breached so it's like okay is he dead it's like no it's breathing for him so <laughs> um they do a scan on on kane the thing has a tube going down his throat uh dallas orders ash to cut it off kane and so they got to like cut to like one of the knuckles and then it squirts like sulfuric acid. And what do they call it? They call it like, oh, like atomized acid or something. I can't remember what they call it. There's like, so it's a different kind of acid. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just eats through the hull of the ship. Like it goes through like three different halls and then eventually stops. So it's like, oh, yeah, there's no stopping this thing. <laughs> this thing's basically just a bomb of acid. <laughs> And it's incapacitated one of your crew. Yeah, um, it's it's a very cool scene because they're worried it's going to eat through the hull of the ship. Yeah, because it goes through the floor and then they just keep chasing it down. But then Dallas is like, "Don't get underneath it." <laughs> you know, it's like, "Oh, yeah, probably a good idea." Um, yeah, and he and he like like he touches it with his pen and then he because it's like starts to smoke the pen but not melt it it's like all right we're good and he just hands it back to brett and brett's like what do i do with this <laughs> but he doesn't say that you just see that on his face yeah um uh let's see here uh we cut to brett and parker are back on repairs they just want to do a quick patch and get off the planet yeah. It's like it's again acting logically. It's like, yeah, let's get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> yeah, this is already way too weird. Let's leave before even weirder stuff happens. Uh Ash is analyzing alien stuff. Ripley talks with Ash like to his annoyance. And then and here they have an argument over quarantine where he's like, you know, when they're off the ship, I'm the acting captain. And so like when they're in their airlock, he's not the captain, I am. <laughs> Uh, and then Ash is extra weird because that's what he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't know why, but yeah. Although it's like it's interesting to watch this now, because then, like, I guess it makes the oh, what's the synth character in Prometheus? Oh, David. Yeah, I guess it makes David more make more sense. It's like, oh, they're all like this. <laughs> Yeah, they like didn't. It. Well, the thing with Ash, I mean, in the canon of the universe, if you you know, if you look into it, is the the difference between like Ash and like Bishop from from Aliens is like Bishop was a known synthetic. He kind of yeah. looked weird. He sort of didn't have emotions. He, I mean, he did, but he didn't. You know, he was just like obviously a synthetic human being. It's like, oh, this yeah. is how we would if we could build a person if he wasn't organically grown. Whereas Ash is supposed to be an infiltration person. So you're okay. never supposed to know that he's synthetic. So when he acts really weird in the movie, it's like, I don't know if they did this deliberately. But the thing is, like, he's just pretending to be human. And he's not doing, as the stress levels go up, <laughs> it's like he's not doing very well. It's like, oh, he's acting weird. And it's like, well, yeah, because he's not really a person. <laughs> he's a synthetic person who's trying to like, oh, I have to act, I have to feel this way, I have to do this, I have to do that. So it looks like an actor struggling with his role, which is like kind of cool. It's, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it works once you understand that. 
Um, yeah, because it's weird because it, it seems like he's acting under the guidelines of the company, but then is also freelancing his own interest of curiosity of like, well, what's this? Like, yeah, I'm not a human, and neither is it. So do I? Do, do I have more in common with this than I do humans? <laughs> Um, which yeah. is interesting to look at because I feel like with just this movie unto itself, you wouldn't necessarily drag that out of here. But because there's been so many other movies now that exist as a potential like backstory or whatever, what's going on in the in the mind of Ash? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that that could very well be because it. Well, th- this goes back to like it, all this. All this owes to a lot to two thousand and one. Because yeah. essentially with David and Ash, it's like whenever you give an artificial intelligence like conflicting guidelines, they always go crazy <laughs> because they can never like, you know, thread the needle of that. Because it's yeah. like only only organic humans are capable of cognitive dissonance, not not machines, which actually makes sense because, you know, we, we can't grow their brains and give them our experience because uh, so they don't live what you call subjectively or with free will. And really, neither do we, if you ask some people. But uh, let's not get lost in that. But yeah, again, but well, yeah, if humans will eventually act out of their own self-interest, and that will override you know any kind of yeah um, program uh, conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, I should probably do what I've been told to, and it's like, what if I didn't? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That seems favorable. <laughs> um, well, that's why, like, you can say like all the synthetics in the alien universe are not like they're not good or bad because they don't have any free will because the devils never act to preserve themselves. And it's like, well, that's clearly something that has no free will because that's what stops humans. It's like, yeah, we'll eventually act in self-preservation. And if we don't, we'll like remember it as saints and martyrs because so (laughs) few people do it. It's like, oh yeah, that, that person's remarkable. I mean, I guess that's, what's interesting about, um, Oh, what's he in aliens? (laughs) Bishop, Bishop, right? Yeah. Where he's like, it's like, oh, he's a synth, and he kind of has superpowers, but he's always concerned about what other people doing. He always takes orders, but they also never give him a gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can't kill anything. Yeah. Unlike David and Ash. Yeah. Because that's the inhibitors they're talking about, the behavioral like uh, controls that they had to put in them. Because I guess, it, like in the Alien universe, like, oh, there were wild things that happened with synthetics, but always because some evil agent of a corporation or someone gave them like really weird orders that like, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, these things will become killing machines. Or you leave them on a space station to do work for eternity. And yeah. Then you, and then the code like breaks down and they barely look like humans. And then when they encounter humans, they want to choke it to death for some reason, <laughs> which well, I get all that from alien isolation. <laughs> yeah. Well, synthetics were never supposed to be stronger or more durable than humans. They were just basically like not feed for the aliens. Yeah. But uh, that that later became it's like no, they are strong and fast. But really, like the Ash and the Bishop one, uh, like yeah, they were a little more durable than humans, but not much. They could be easily killed by humans or aliens if they wanted to. But uh, it seems like the David one was well. David never really fought with anyone. He just always was several steps ahead and. It's yeah, like you he, only, he only revealed like he was evil as you were going into the well, sleep he, pod or something. It's like, oh, yeah, now I'm fucked. Yeah, but he also did weirder things. Or is that the other David that does all the thing where he like, was it, what's the, Sandra or whatever, the, the German chick where he like 
clones her and makes weird out of her bodies. Oh, Numi Rapace, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the same one. It's the same one in Prometheus and uh, Covenant. Well, doesn't he make like another version of himself and then there's supposed to be a switch of like, oh, which David did we get? No, it was there, there was a, the, the David on the Covenant had an uh, English or didn't have an English accent. The David from Prometheus did, but they were the okay. same model. It's just the David from uh, Covenant was a lot newer and he had an American accent. Oh, OK. That's how you knew, because in the end, when he's closing the cryopod on, uh, I forget the character's name, then he talks in his British accent right as she's going under. And she knows like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be a genetic experiment for eternity <laughs> now. Okay, so yeah, there was two Davids. Okay. Yeah, there were two Davids, but um, that he was... came with the ship. I was I was under the assumption like he made his own David. So that's no, I got that wrong. Also, he killed an entire race of people. So you know, he, he does. Kill yeah, he's people. a dark. Yeah, he's a dark guy. <laughs> I gotta make my art. What is art to a machine? <laughs> well, remember he was just a head by the end of Prometheus. <laughs> Dallas hangs out in the escape shuttle, listening to classical music. Uh, Ash wants Dallas to come look at Kane. Uh, so they go back to the med bay. The, the facehugger is gone from Kane, and so they cautiously enter, looking around for the thing. Um, yeah, at some point, Ash like, closes the door. It's like, oh, good thing you don't let it get out. <laughs> or also, like, make sure they don't get out. Like, who do you want? <laughs> do you not want the thing to get out, or do you not want them to get out? Like, what? Are... <laughs> you can look at that any way you want. Uh, the corpse of the facehugger kind of just falls onto Ripley. Uh, Dallas runs to protect her, so I guess that's some positioning about like, oh, she can't do anything; she's not a hero. <laughs> Ash pokes the alien and wants to like keep it on board and bring it back to Earth, and Ripley wants it to get it off the ship, so she, she doesn't trust Ash. You can see that. Um, so they they blast off from the planet. There's some contention about the ship holding together, but it's okay, and so they dock back with the hauler. Uh, we cut to, like, yeah, they have another meeting. Parker just wants to freeze Kane and they'll just handle everything later. Great idea. and doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the smartest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, point, you have no idea what's coming. It, it, yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like Dallas is like frozen with indecision where he's like, let's just get back. Okay. <laughs> let's just get back. All right. I'm just a company guy. And then Ash just seems like he's doing his job. I guess, but he's like extra weird about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then everybody else is like, yeah, you know, no, before we just get on with it, how about we get all the shit out of here and then get on with it? If they're 10 months away from Earth. Uh, we cut to you. Kane is awake and groggy. Kane doesn't have any memory of the incident. So I'm guessing he's just. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how far back his memory goes. Like maybe he thinks he's just coming up out of the pod <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's not very clear. Uh, then we have dinner time with the crew. Kane's really hungry. I don't know what the hell he's eating. Like some stringy sat mushroom salad thing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's something like designed to it's like weirdly organic looking. Uh, Kane starts retching and he falls on the table. They think he's like having a seizure because like Parker keeps trying to shove a spoon in his teeth. <laughs> uh, they hold him down. And here's where the chest buster chest buster which again, never said, but it's a thing. You, that's what they call it in all the like Wikipedia entries you'll look up about it. Yep. It pops up out of Kane's chest, makes some weird sound, like kind of, I don't know, like a digital baby or whatever. Yep. With <laughs> metal teeth. Yeah. And then it's covered in blood and it skitters away. Yeah, basically just looks like an umbilical cord come to life as a monster. Uh, it was described by, uh, I think it was Giger and one other 
person. Someone else said it, it, it was like it was a phallus emerging and establish its, its dominance as the largest phallus in the room. <laughs> and, uh, and then it runs away. So usually the vagina has the teeth, but now the penis does. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, we wrap this up, I'll explain uh, a lot of the stuff that, like, that was said and that I believe. And uh, So, yeah, they, they so Kane is dead. Yep. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, they spent, uh, also, he hilariously reprised this role for Spaceballs. <laughs> that's right, he did. <laughs> but they have a, uh, come on, my lady, come on, my dog, come on. <laughs> they do that with Alien. Which I think he's still alive in that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they spent some time looking for the new alien form, which is just the evolution of this thing is amazing and like frightening. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, this, oh. this thing would be growing like a foot an hour. Like it's, <laughs> um, and they do find its skin all over the place. It's shedding yeah. skin. I don't know what it's feeding on, but maybe it's just growing. Maybe it's just becoming. Maybe it weighs exactly the same, but it just has a larger structure of it's better structuralized. <laughs> but the thing seems like it weighs like 600 pounds, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, maybe it doesn't feed on uh, organic stuff. Maybe it's like eating the hull and it's the silicon based or whatever. <laughs> um, well, that's what like Kane says. Oh, okay. It's like he's looking at its uh, at its structure and its skin it's like oh yeah this thing could survive in a vacuum like it's just <laughs> it's uh its skin reforms into whatever environment it is it's mostly silicate based or something he says something oh okay like that. yeah so they spend some time looking for the new alien form they eject kane's body into space uh brett makes like a a homemade cattle prod to stun the alien because i think they're just looking for this little thing yeah ash has made a homebrew motion tracker and I also thought the flamethrower was homebrew, but apparently that's just uh, standard, yeah, <laughs> like uh, standard uh, weapons on the ship. <laughs> yeah, that would rob- that makes sense, kind of as a spaceship weapon as opposed to a yeah. firearm. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't want a projector projectile going through the hull, uh, but also creating fire on a ship is not great. Yeah, <laughs> like fires in submarines are the most frightening thing <laughs> that happens. So, but they're easy to put out in space. You just evacuate. Yeah. To space, but that that also creates its own problem because you can't breathe. But it's uh, weird. It's weird how the motion track in this movie basically has all the elements that ends up in aliens, but aliens is just way more effective, mostly because of the beep sound. They just get that better in aliens. <laughs> well, yeah, and they also coordinate it with it's like putting out some kind of radar. Yeah. Whereas in this, this thing is just like a prod. It's yeah. like some kind of probe, and it just tracks movement. It's like in Aliens, it's like, oh, it's like 12 meters away from me, and it's like, doo, doo, doo. it's always putting out that sonar Yeah, type and the sound, sound always gets louder as it gets closer. Right yeah. here, it just kind of makes a, and then somebody says, it's it's right on top of you. We're in Aliens. It's like, it's basically like, the EKG meter going dead as like they uh, descend upon you. <laughs> um, I like how they, and, and, and all this stuff, like they try to recreate in real life too. <laughs> like people at the Pentagon, like watch the, like, I guess a lot of stuff from like predator and aliens is like the guys at the Pentagon is like, when can we have that? We want the, what do we, it's like, we want the suit that camouflages and we want motion trackers. 
Yeah. And then they realize, like, well, yeah, you can have stuff like that, but you'll need a semi-truck parked next to it to power it, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're trying to do all this linked war stuff, which sounds amazing, but you know, like, well, the Russians are great at <laughs> defeating that stuff like that. Yeah, any software we can make, they can hack. Um, But they can never make the software, because if they anything they make, we can also hack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the Russians are just better at subverting, you know, structure and, and rules. <laughs> yeah, they they think that way. We're not. But yeah, like they want to put like you know they like these a like you know the the mixed reality goggles on a soldier, and then like somebody like scouting out an area, just looking at something, can then send that data back to the artillery guys, and then like in minutes they're just start shelling it, and it's like that would be like a two hour relaying information in any other modern warfare. And now it's like, now it happens in seconds. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be incredibly frightening. <laughs> it's a lot of destructive power just released, uh, you know, on a whim. And yeah, yeah, like I said, Oh, it's like, like, yeah, let's send pictures of the base back and like, no, this is an enemy location. And then you're shelling your own forward base. <laughs> Cause that's what the Russians would do. Yeah. Or we um. would do. <laughs> we do that too. Uh, Ripley, Parker, and Brett go down into the cargo and mechanical areas looking for the thing. The lights are on the fritz. They get scared by Jonesy the cat hiding in a compartment, which is where I thought, oh, because it kind of looked like these compartments were like dripping with blood. So I thought, like, oh, did the alien go in there and get all its food? But I don't know what these compartments are. That's not blood. There's just a cat in there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how the cat got in there. I was scared by the alien. Well, cat's good at surviving. <laughs> uh, they send, so yeah, the, they send Brett. Oh yeah, Brett. Yeah, the cat runs away, and they get mad at Brett for not catching the cat. He's like, "What? It's just the cat." And they're like, "No, it's gonna keep showing up on the radar." So like, go get it. <laughs> so they send Brett to go get the Jonesy the cat. He gets eyes on the cat, but it like runs off. He finds some skin shedding around, which he's kind of creeped out by that. <laughs> But, you know, here it's kind of small, but, you know, you have to be like, oh, it's gone bigger. Uh, he continues on to a room that's just like full. I mean, this is basically just full on Hellraiser here. It's like a room full of chains and water dripping. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brett, like, cools down a bit, which I'm like, I don't know. what You know, that's like a nuclear reactor. I don't know. <laughs> cool off in the reactor runoff water or whatever the hell this is. I, <laughs> I guess this would be like a cooling tower or something. You know? Yeah. Uh, which I guess that wouldn't make sense in space. Nah, maybe it would not. Uh, he walks towards some more sounds that go off. I think he just finds the cat again. But then the, the alien like kind of like slinks up behind him and reveals itself. This is the classic xenomorph, just the weird bulbous shape without eyes. And you get two mouths and one extends outward. <laughs> it's just a full. It's just like bleeding, translucent blood or something. Or that's supposed to be acid. Um, well, I don't think it's acid. It's just you know, it's all kinds of. Seminole <laughs> nastiness coming at you. Yeah, it's it's all something. It's all has a subversive under meaning. Um so yeah, this is a classic, you know, Giger looking thing. It's also a great alien because also the thing that people get wrong all the time and trying to make their own aliens is like, what do you do with the eyes? And the eyes always look stupid. It's like, what if it didn't have eyes? <laughs> now it's much more frightening. Like, how does this thing feel? Look, what is its sensor capabilities? <laughs> like, I have no idea. Um, of course, they like later on, they'd have all sorts of weird things. I see it mostly in like the alien versus predator stuff where like, 
when the when the aliens like like attach itself to a different race or thing of something then a different type of alien pops out because like an alien three it, it it infects a dog and so it's like a weird red alien that has more dog-like features um yeah so it kind of like takes on some things from its host yeah they basically okay. establish in the later books uh and in the alien rpg that like it's actually the face huggers put like a genetic mutagen in you yeah. and then that like it just it's it, it has the core programming of forming an alien but it also borrows from the genetics of its host um which is very frightening yeah it's uh, yeah it's nightmare fuel it wasn't this all uh, the idea for this thing was all born from like a what a wasp that like lays its eggs and like a spider or something like that uh, yeah, I'm not sure because I like I said I know it was originally called Star Beast, and yeah. it was like it was like a, it was a parasitic thing, but I don't know particularly which one because I think Dan O'Bannon was the one who came up with it. Yeah, but I'm not sure, and uh, Robert Suchet, but I'm not sure like what particularly they based it on. But I know it was like a combat like that wasn't the final like because because like the initial script was passed on like by seven different groups it's like yeah we don't want to make this we don't want to make this but then when uh uh ridley scott got a hold of it and then brought on hr giger like giger had a lot of ideas too <laughs> not beyond just the art of like oh yeah how can we how could this become a nightmare and it's like well what if humans were part of the life cycle <laughs> like that's like stuff going around killing that's why like the thing is so horrifying too it's like yeah, yeah. it's just what if you became part of its like it just didn't tear you apart yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you're not just food; you're a part of its life cycle. Yeah, it's like that's. Are, and are you still conscious of that? Like, are you still you? But you're just a part of this thing. Like that's even more frightening than rather than you just being, like I don't know, just dead you know, DNA for this or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brent gets like stuck in the face with like its secondary mouth, which seems like a kill shot, but he's still screaming. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's very, uh, you know, you don't know what the alien needs from people. Because there are cut scenes of, like, you know, like, what Dallas being, like, pinned against a wall and, like, some kind of webbing, and he's like, kill me. And it's like, and it's like. Oh, yeah, that's when the people, like, mutated into eggs or whatever. That was, that was, oh, okay. That was never included in the final. That was, like, that was just too weird. Okay, so it was just assumed. Well, yeah, that's how they wrote it, but then it later became assumed that, like, no, it's just eating the people it's taking to grow. Well, in Aliens, they make it, like, they're pinning them against the wall, so then they, that the facehuggers can get released. And yeah, yeah, but in this movie, they didn't have the concept of the queen laying eggs yeah. and all that stuff, and, and so that was why, um, yeah, that was why the, where the Tom Skerritt scene came from. Uh, but yeah, that was cut from the movie. Yeah, because yeah, um, it was just too weird. But yeah, you don't necessarily know if like if the people getting taken away are still alive or not. Whereas an alien, there's like a bunch of people get taken away. Like most of them are dead, but then there's like, oh, we can still read them. They're alive. <laughs> yeah, they still we can getting our life support readings. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, this is like also a great take. Like, oh, here's this little snake thing that ran off, and now it's like a seven foot tall weird alien bone skin creature <laughs> yep <laughs> um played by an actor who is six foot two and very thin 
<laughs> to fit into this uh, outfit. Which, if I remember correctly, was a nightmare. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> just sweat like ten pounds of by the end of the day. Oh yeah, just, just like being in F one car for two hours in a row. <laughs> and they're shooting water down on you. And there's and um, puppetry effects, like when the saliva and everything comes out of it. It's like yeah, that's all pumped through it <laughs> through very warm bladders operated by guys in the back. <laughs> and it's like oh yeah. All practical effects, but yeah, it's really so. Imagine if they had fluorescent or no, the halogen lighting or whatever, that would have been even worse. Oh, (laughs) yeah, thank god they shot with fluorescent. I wonder if they shoot with LEDs. I wonder if anybody's done that. I wonder if that helps or makes it worse. No, because those flicker. If you see them on, you've ever seen like you you have your your phone on and you're taking video, and it's like, why are the lights flickering on that car? It's like, (laughs) yeah, because your camera can pick that up, but your eyes. I forget why our eyes don't see the LED flicks. I think we censor it out, or it doesn't register because of how our eyes perceive the light, or yeah, yeah, because yeah, I I could use the excuse of frames per second, but our eyes don't work like that, so who knows? (laughs) Yeah, there's some reason we don't see the flicker, but when we do, it's like, oh, we know exactly what it is. So subconsciously, we know the flicker's there, but it's just so much more efficient to light that way that it's like that's all we're doing. I don't think I have a real light bulb in this house anymore. Um, there's another crew meeting the alien they figure that the alien is moving around the air shafts and so there's a debate about whether Brett is still alive because he's, as he's dragged away screaming you don't know but even though it's like well didn't that thing go through his head he's like oh yeah. <laughs> um, so they make another plan to get the alien off the ship so like now that they know it's big and dangerous <laughs> and can carry people away <laughs> effortlessly uh, Dal cut to Dallas goes and talks to the computer trying to get an answer, like about what to do with the alien. But the, the oh, this is like a completely useless scene, yeah, because the because the, the, the computer gives no answer whatsoever. So I don't know if this builds tension, or I don't really know what this does for the movie. Well, it basically establishes that there's other forces at play, yeah. It's like the only thing you have to worry about is not just the alien. It's like there's obviously somebody's not being honest with you because this machine would obviously have some kind of answer for you. <laughs> uh, we cut to Dallas goes and the and air the computers ducks, don't lie, do they? <laughs> they can't lie, right? Right. Um, Dallas goes in the air ducts, so they're like trying to like section off the alien and they're trying to chase it out. Uh, Lambert's tracking Dallas with a motion sensor. Well, this is where they cut to like they show like the grid screen on it, which is basically. Sort of like what they do in Aliens. Although that one, that one has like a little like that one's more of a radar, and it has like this cool rotating thing. Like as they turn, like the the like the dial turns on the on the device in Aliens. Yeah. Here it's just kind of a grid with like I don't know, like a light cycle racing around. Yeah, the Tron light cycle. <laughs> I actually think that came out the same year as this. Pro- uh, no, that was early '80s. They're probably developing it and filming it then. Yeah. No, not Tron Legacy. Oh, 82. Okay, never mind. That was probably being filmed, or at least pre-production at this time. Yeah. Tron, a movie nobody likes, but it seems to be like the the progenitor to so many different things. (laughs) It was basically The Matrix before it was cool. (laughs) Uh, Parker and Lambert have flamethrowers now. Or not Lambert. Uh, Dallas has a flamethrower. Yeah. 
uh, Lambert tells Dallas that he's close to the alien, so he just kind of splay, sprays some flames around. <laughs> it's like, I'll just hit this little, <laughs> hit a little that. And then the tracker malfunctions, and then, like, it comes back online just in time to signify that the alien's, like, coming right for Dallas. And then Dallas just ends up moving right into its way. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really good jump scare. All the alien does is, it's like, ah, it's like it goes for a hug, and then they cut away. <laughs> well, it's a very it's like- claustrophobic because yeah. they're in air vents yeah. they're not able to stand up and really articulate and move around very well um so yeah but the alien's like in pure darkness and he like looks one way and then when he looks the other way the alien pops out then we cut to dallas or parker throws dallas's flamethrower on the table saying he didn't see any blood that dallas is just gone so again we don't know like was it dead is it not is he eaten what's going on uh ripley wants to keep on with Dallas's plan. Lambert wants, just wants to leave in the escape shuttle, but I guess because there's still five. Yeah, there's five people around, so like there's the, the shuttle only holds four, or so yeah, can't do anything about it. <laughs> Got to wait for this thing to liquidate a few more of you. <laughs> Ripley wants to corner it and blast it out into space because it's like, yeah, that'll get rid of it. At least it'll get it off the ship pretty conveniently. <laughs> yeah, you can't like defy gravity. It can't move back towards the ship if you blow it out of pressurized airlock. So unless it has unless those weird spines on the back of it, it's a really good, like effective farting propulsion system. <laughs> That'd be wild the alien just farts and it clearly is a fart and it moves back to the ship. It's like at this point, are we supposed to be afraid or amused? <laughs> Um, Parker goes to refill the flamethrowers. Ripley goes into the mother computer room. Ripley tries to get answers out of mother, but it it, it says for science officers only. But then she just kind of asks it like, "What's this pro? What's this protocol?" And it basically just tells her everything. It's like, "Well, that's weird. That's a weird circumvent of the of the." Uh, uh, so she's able to get the directives, which says, "Priority one: ensure return of organism for analysis. All other considerations secondary. Crew expendable." <laughs> so. That's when that's when you know it's like okay, there's a corporate conspiracy against them. But that's I don't know. That's another thing where it's like with the later movies, it explains like oh, they knew this all the time that this thing was here. Yeah, this Prometheus here, happened seventy years earlier. It's like oh, okay, <laughs> they already knew what this was. Here it's a mystery. It's like did they know or did they not know? It's like <laughs> yeah, it's the the best retconning ever. <laughs> Uh, then Ash is suddenly there, which is basically like a jump scare. He's just kind of like smiling. Yeah, it's the it's second like... best jump scare in the movie. <laughs> it's like, why is this creep here? It's the only time you see the character smile either. <laughs> and he's like, there's an explanation for this. And then Ripley grabs Ash and like shoves him in the wall. She has like an, a, a mini emotional breakdown and then leaves. Then we cut to Ash like traps Ripley in like this area. Or also like Ripley just like suddenly has like a nosebleed for no reason. <laughs> I don't know. Was there a reason for her nosebleed, or is that just like a good stress, or is it just like happenstance that she just happened that her nose started to bleed and they just kept it in the movie? I think it was, des- it was designed to like de- uh, establish something in your mind for what's about to happen. Okay, she bleeds blood, he bleeds milk, or whatever. yeah, it's it's <laughs> like what what the f- so now you know it's like something's not right with Ash. Yeah, uh, at least that's what I think. That's what I okay. always got out of it. Because okay, I, didn't, I, didn't th- I didn't think he punched her. At first, I thought, did he hit her? But it's like, no, nah, he would have like crushed her skull if he hit her. Okay. Or I maybe not. I don't like... know how strong Ash really is. Um, I mean, he can hold off. <laughs> he can hold off Parker pretty well, so he's pretty strong. Yeah. Or at least he just has really good grip strength. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. he can just hold on. He can't really sh- 
throw you about too much. Yeah, he's not I like mean, a Terminator, but yeah. I mean, he's throwing her around. He's throwing her around Ripley, but she's also like ninety pounds. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he does not throw her around Parker. He's just kind of holding on. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know if that was just like happenstance that she's bleeding from the nose, or if that was planned. So that's all I was questioning you. Uh, but yeah, Ash traps Ripley in like this area. Uh, he stares creepily at her, and then like this milk runs down his head or whatever. And, like what? And it's always like you always see him drinking milk. <laughs> You're like, what the hell is that? And then he starts throwing Ripley around, where it seems like she's unconscious at point, but every time he picks her up, she's still kind of groggy and conscious, and throws her in a and throws her into like I don't know Brett's pornography or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Brett's pornography corner. Brett's porn corner. <laughs> He like rolls. No, up don't a put me in the stroking hut. <laughs> he like rolls up a porn mag and then puts it over her mouth and apparently is suffocating her. It's very weird. I've never seen that before. Um, okay, here's the explanation from the director of that rolling up a pornographic magazine very tightly. It's a phallic thing, and he's going to shove his. Uh, artificial phallus down Ripley's throat to kill her. It's not the most efficient way to for him to kill her. He could just break her neck or suffocate her, or, yeah. but crush her windpipe. But no, he chooses to do it this way because you know he he's not really a man, but he wants to kill this woman, kind of like similar to what the face hugger shoves something down the other guy's throat. Yeah. So that's how this this is directly from the director yeah. i'm not like this isn't my thoughts but it's like oh that's weird but okay but it, it's why it explains this once you hear it you're like okay that's that's why he's doing this inefficient instead of just getting a knife out of the thing and stabbing her it's like oh okay or he's weirdly subverting his programming where it's like maybe it won't let him kill her but like this is like some workaround he seemed about like well if i put a magazine on her and then i just close off the magazine and then she stops breathing that's not my that's not my fault yeah she should have fought harder <laughs> uh parker and lambert show up and try to stop ash parker hits him with a fire extinguisher and then it's like his head pops off revealing that he's a robot which i guess this is another just like weird reveal in this movie this is one you don't see coming it's like what is this movie doing what does this mean yeah because he's like bouncing around with his arms going like this like he's his head is like knocked backwards over his back yeah. but his body's still moving around I remember what well when uh, parker tries to stop him at first he does like the hand grip on his chest yeah and then it's like and parker's like immediately reacts to that, like oh crap and he's one hand in that so yeah He's trying to grab my heart through my chest. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then, then the, like, the robot kind of comes back to life and tries to kill Parker by, like, strangling him, even though it's, like, the head's on backwards, but the arms are still going for him. And then Lambert hits the, the robot with the cattle prod and knocks it out. Then we cut to Ashes in pieces, and they're trying to activate Ash again and, like, just interrogate him. Uh, here's where Ash... This is a pretty obvious cut where it's like here they keep trying to set the model up and then they just cut to like Ian Holm and a and a cutout table. <laughs> well, the fun. problem they had is they did a mold of his head, yeah, which means Ian Holm had to be dunked in this a uh, plaster and then have straws put in his nose so he could breathe. And they poured the mold for this special effects head, and then they had a delay in shooting for like two days, so they were doing something else. 
and they came back and the head had shrunk two times. <laughs> so they couldn't have it on camera very long because it was obviously it looked like a, a shrunken head like from uh, the Headhunters or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not going to work. So, yeah, it was a real quick cut because the damn head they made, you know, it did, when it cured up, it shrunk too much. <laughs> yeah, here Ash says, like, you can't kill it. It's a perfect organism. So this is when you can work backwards from this. It's of like, what does this mean? Like, yeah, Ash doesn't feel human, so he's more in line with this being. Uh, so is that why he turned on the crew, or is this purely like for corporate greed or somewhere in between? He's jealous of its uh, unencumbered ability to act. Yeah, he says it's unclouded by remorse or morality. Yeah. Which he, I guess he envies. <laughs> yeah, I, but I don't know that he is either. But, you know, it's yeah. like... He's 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 encumbered by human programming, who he obviously considers humans to be <laughs> inferior. Uh, yeah, he says its structure purity is only matched by its hostility, which I guess that's a great thing about the alien. Is like it just seems like a pure animal. Like there's no intention to it; it just does what it does. Yeah, it's just a about. it's just a bug. It's an insect. <laughs> uh, then they unplug Ash. New plan: blow up the ship, take the chances on the shuttle. <laughs> So and then Parker roasts Ash on the way out just to just to get that out of the way. Yeah. Which we yeah we never see Ian Holm, the Ash character, ever show up ever again in the in the franchise. So. No, I think he was done with it. Did a great job, but yeah. Because we have we have um, what's his name? Lance Henriksen. Yeah, Lance Henriksen liked to pop up a bunch in this franchise and later on. Well, you know, he was about ready to quit acting when he got that role. Huh. <laughs> and he, he was like, okay, this is going to be my last performance. I'm really going for it. Because he did, like, the perfect, like, humanoid android. Yeah. I mean, that's still, like, the standard. It was, the, was um, I mean, David was good, but, because uh, Michael Fassbender's cool. But, yeah, still, like, Bishop's, like, the ultimate, like, good, I'm not completely evil. I'm kind of, a, you know, like a neutral character. Yeah. But I definitely like him on one side here. Uh, yeah, he did. He was the best at that. So I have that being the end of Act Two. So we have Act T, Act Three, Act T, Act Three. So they need coolant for the air support system in the shuttle, which I guess I never picked up on this whatsoever. Well, they need filters, yeah, for the life support system. Well, they say coolant. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, but the, I, I guess every time I saw, I thought they were like. They're picking up canisters. I guess I just assumed that was like air or something. Oh no, yeah, I'm mixing up this and Event Horizon. Yeah, no, they do need. Yeah, they do need. Uh, they're looking for some kind of chemical. Yeah. Uh, in containers, where in Event Horizon they are actually looking for air scrubbers. So yeah. Okay. But these movies, a lot of cues from Event Horizon taken <laughs> oh, yeah, from yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, this is like, what happened? What's the, the the farest reaching goal of like? Uh, insect evolution and then what's the nightmare of that and then Event Horizon is like what if hell came to space (laughs) what if we just blended the supernatural with science (laughs) which is like actually super scary but usually becomes dumb yeah (laughs) there should really I I guess it's stupid now but like they probably should really continue the Event Horizon (laughs) franchise I'd be willing to help if they wanted to maybe merge it with hellraiser i don't know <laughs> we could make it happen yeah so parker and lambert go to get coolant while ripley is setting up the shuttle ripley goes 
uh, Ripley like hears the cat, so she goes looking for Jonesy in the near area. Uh, then we cut to Parker and Lambert are grab grabbing a bunch of coolant bottles. I guess I don't know. It seems like some of them are empty and some of them aren't. It's like, man, you guys suck at at like organizing. <laughs> you got to get the hell out of here. Cut to yeah, Ripley. She gets the cat after some jump scares and she throws it in the carrying case. We cut to the alien like corners Lambert and she just like freezes up. Parker wants to hit it with like a flamethrower, but he, but Lambert's in the way, so he never uses the flamethrower. So the flamethrower never gets used on the alien. Yeah, we don't <laughs> it know. It only if it gets works. used on Ash, which I guess that's uh, I, I guess that's uh, yeah, I guess that works out. Ash is the one that's hit with the flamethrower because he's Ash. <laughs> uh, the alien kind of like skull cracks Parker. So the, the the secondary mouth goes through his head, so he's pretty much dead. We see some tentacle stuff implied to Lambert, but I guess I guess yeah, this is a Ridley Scott thing. Where it was like the alien raped her to death, which I don't. That's meant to be put in your head, but I yeah. guess this is actually a cut. Actually, we see the tail and the feet. Those are actually Brett's feet. Those are from the Brett scene. They just cut it out and put it here to imply more. Okay. <laughs> So that's the power of editing, folks. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, you hear the screams over the radio of them screaming. And so hers do kind of seem like weirdly sexual, I guess. I don't know. Uh, For I guess all the psychosexual like, stuff they actually admit to in this movie is probably intended to be that. Yeah. Well, apparently the uh, – what's her name? Ella. Victoria. Yeah. I just said Victoria Veronica Cartwright. Yeah, apparently she's very mad about that. She she didn't want that. She didn't want that betrayed as that. But yeah, that's... it's all it's all up to you to decide that. that yeah, way. yeah. Uh, Ripley finds them both dead, and so she goes and runs to set up the self destruct, which is like elaborate and cool. Which kind of reminds me of the self destruct in Wrath of Khan. Was <laughs> like these pillars of metal come out, and then you got to insert more pillars and then rotate things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you want it to be complicated. You don't want it to be a button yeah. anyone can press. So, yeah. yeah. But see, actually, like, the self-destruct in this is described as, like, oh, yeah, if you activate this in this sequence, you cut the coolant off to a fusion reactor, <laughs> which is, that's, like, the technically self-destruct, which is, I've heard people lot argue against this movie, like, well, they would never have that in, like, a civilian ship. And it's like, well, they might. Uh, there, there's actually as many reasons for it as against it. It's like, well, what? Yeah, if... it's it's not a civilian ship if a corporation owns it. Yeah, <laughs> a corporal military con or uh, yeah, syndicate. The... Yeah. Well, it's also like there's a few scenarios like because it's uh, you don't find out they don't talk about again. This is outside the movie, but they don't food those ships up for the whole journey. They food yeah. those ships up for the amount of time it's going to take you to dock, head for deep space get your thing, come back. You know. So if you like were in a situation where your life support systems or your freezing systems didn't work, where well, you're just going to starve to death. Yeah. So that might be a reason to self-destruct. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're just going into deep space and can't change course for what you, that would be a reason to self-destruct. You're going into crowded shipping lanes and you could kill other people that are asleep. That would yeah. be a reason to self-destruct. There are yeah, reasons the, for the it. The haulers going into a planet that atmosphere. Why don't you blow it up first? Yeah. <laughs> kills a bunch of people yeah hey do you find it weird that ridley scott directed it and the main character is ripley do you ever confuse those in your head every once in a while no not really because <laughs> all you have to do is ro do a 90 degree do a 180 churn on that p and it's ridley yeah. <laughs> uh there's uh let's see yeah she sets off the 
the self-destruct. Uh, there's like steam that's like blowing off all over the place, which I guess this is like the coolant being shut off, and it's like I don't know, whatever. Ripley spots an alien around a strobing light. I wonder if this uh, gave people some <laughs> some uh, 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 what do you call it? seizure. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Ripley, yeah, Ripley spots the alien. The alien looks like she like runs off, and then the, she drops the carrying case of the cat. But the alien looks like really close at the cat. I guess look is being presumptive. <laughs> it doesn't have eyes, so. uh, but yeah, it doesn't seem interested in the cat. Yeah, I I don't necessarily understand this because it seems like Ripley's trying to stop the self destruct, but misses the window to stop it, and then she's mad that it's going to blow up in five minutes anyway. Because <laughs> it's like it's going to blow up in two minutes, and then like it hits zero, and then they're like too late, <laughs> and she's like, "God damn you, mother!" It's like, wait, wouldn't mother like not allow this to be self destructed? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. Did I miss something there, Nathan? No, I mean, well, she, yeah, she was, of course, she was trying to turn it off because she didn't think she could get around the alien. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this basically, I mean, yeah, what this structurally does is this forces her to go back and face the alien. Yeah. Which makes, which makes sense. I'm just not sure about like this. I thought the ship was going to blow up here and then it doesn't. <laughs> then there's another countdown. <laughs> so, yeah, Ripley goes back to the shuttle, grabs Jonesy. Uh, Ripley gets in the shuttle, takes off away from the, the Stromo and its hull. Uh, there's several nuclear blasts or fusion blasts or whatever that go off here. It shakes the shuttle a lot, but, you know, it's mostly fine. You know, everything's fine. And here she says, I got you, you son of a bitch. She kind of whispers it, which, of course, that gets brought back into aliens, which is like, get away from her, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, because she and here she's playing. She knows it's the son of a bitch. Although Ash does refer to this alien as Cain's son, <laughs> which I'm sure is several biblical references or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, is is the alien Abel? But Cain kills Abel, right? No, I can't remember. Yes. Okay. Ripley gets Jonesy out of his carrying case and puts him in a sleep chamber. Everything seems fine. Ripley strips down to the world's smallest panties. Yeah, it's weird <laughs> 70s panties. It's like, it's, it's almost like a G-string, but the G-string doesn't go up the butt. The G-string is like on the hips. Like there's nothing on the side. There's, there's you know, the stuff on the front and back, but like the smallest string on the side, which I feel like, I don't know, this became, I don't know. This is like in almost 80s, every 80s Japanese anime. Like, apparently the Japanese must have loved this. This also seems very exploitive. I don't know what's going on. I don't know whose fantasy this was. It's very weird. Um, It's very weird, like, impractical clothing. Yeah. But I think at this point in the movie, this is to show that, like, oh, yeah, remember Ripley is a woman. Like this, she's a female character, and and she is vulnerable. I think it, it was yeah, actually. Yeah, I think it's just vulnerable. It's intended like, like to make her look vulnerable, but to us, yeah. it just looks like weird clothing. It's like, well, you wouldn't. <laughs> you'd wear like space breeches or something, or breeches. You wouldn't wear stuff like that. But this also just seems like straight out of a softcore porn. It's like, oh, we just gotta get you know, gotta get scantily clad. I mean, there's no nudity, just some butt crack. Yeah. <laughs> There's always some butt crack. <laughs> you ever had your pipes fixed? You know. <laughs> yeah, I guess she's closer to a plumber than anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's flipping some switches, and then 
the alien is like resting among some pipes, so it just its head kind of fits in there. How it's like reflecting things. So if you're not if you're not looking too closely, you don't notice it's there. Yeah, it's like it the Where's Waldo time. of alien. It's like, oh yeah, it's still there. And it's just kind of like resting, I guess. I don't know because its hand like reaches out and scares Ripley, but then it just seems to be sleeping. So I don't know if that was like an intended thing or if that's just like it's sleeping and that's just like a, a reflex or whatever. It's like it's weird because it's like here it's the only time we see the alien kind of like resting and having no intention or whatever. It's kind of lazy. It's like, well, what, what made it lazy? <laughs> it gets filled with with Lambert and and Parker, I guess. Yeah, it's a post meal like you know, meat sleep. <laughs> So she runs into like the spacesuit closet and keeps an eye on the alien, which it just kind of doesn't really do much. It just kind of slithers around. We really show off its secondary mouth and like it just like drooling all over the place. Uh, again, it just seems to be not really doing that intentionally. It just kind of seems to be some sort of reflex or whatever. It's dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> so she slowly puts on a spacesuit and then she grabs like a spear gun. No, don't know why they have that, but. <laughs> Uh, she heads out of the closet. If you get thrown she... off the ship, you can fire a grapple gun eh. and get pulled back to the ship. I guess so. Yeah. Um, she buckles herself into a seat, and then she, like, hits the alien with some steam to scare it out. And then she turns away for some reason. Uh, but then she, like, looks in the corner of, the like, the helmet, and then she sees the, like, the alien just kind of standing there, like, like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and, of course, she freaks out by that, and then turns and hits, like, the, the, the airlock, and then that, that sucks the alien out of the airlock, but it's still able to, like, grab onto the doorway, and then, and then she hits it with the spear gun, it knocks it out of the doorway, but then, like, she hits the door closed and then it catches the gun in the doorway. So the alien's still like tethered to the ship. Um, uh, now the alien's just like dangling out the, the back of the spaceship. The alien like tries to crawl in through like the rocket <laughs> engines. Yeah. And then she just blasts it with the engines out into space, which I thought I remember like it disintegrating in the engines, but no, it just gets knocked out into space. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe presumably still alive. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm used to things nowadays of, of, especially with like, you know, the expanse of people using the engines as a weapon yeah. <laughs> of, of, of terrible destruction. Um, but yeah, here the model is just a set of lights, so of course they're not going to disintegrate the alien. Although they do have kind of interesting like dripping effects, yeah, as it's being as it's in the rocket engine. So yeah, they do some work to show it being like kind of torn up a bit. Uh, then we cut to, it's like moments later, Ripley leaves a recording, hoping that with a bit of luck, she'll be picked up by the network. I don't know what that means. Um, and then we pan to the stars and credits. Oh. <laughs> and that's the end of Alien. Yeah, that's the end. It's one of the I best hear... science fiction movies ever made. <laughs> and I also hear the original ending was supposed to be that Ripley gets her head cut off and then the alien leaves this message at the end or something like that. That'd be weird. It's like, oh, it can talk now. But that's just classic Ridley Scott stuff where it's like, oh, we had something even darker, but they weren't brave enough to use it. It's like, no, I think the studio's right in the sense it's Ridley yeah. Scott. <laughs> I don't think anyone would remember this movie fondly if that was the case. It's already a bleak movie. Like, give people some hope, I guess. Um, I don't know. I wonder if this is going to take a, take a turn and, like, st really bleak movies are going to start coming out because people are starting to get tired of, of the endless 
you know meta universes where like every movie is just a lead off to another movie and so now people are going to start making movies where it's like no we're going to definitively kill off all these characters to make sure there's not a franchise <laughs> but somehow i doubt that'll happen though. yeah that's probably not going to be the direction <laughs> <laughs> yeah every once in a while these things take a turn so yeah i remember uh, there's a book i read about movies i remember like for fox this was like kind of changed a bunch of things because it used to be they had a formula where if you made a sequel, you just like have the budget. And then, uh, so for this one, I think they, I, I'm not sure if they had, I'm not sure if they gave it more budget for aliens. I think Cameron was a clever filmmaker, maybe made a bigger movie for the same budget. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was quite a gap in between though. There was, it yeah. was like a seven year gap. Yeah. Seven years. But and also there's, there's the, the funny trivia about how, Cameron pitched aliens where he just wrote alien on a chalkboard and then put a dollar sign at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so it said aliens and money, uh, which seems like something a stupid executive would buy. Like, yeah. It's like, really? I know the, I know my idiot crowd here. Uh. <laughs> yeah. There was a pretty, there was a video game called alien isolation, which had a pretty faithful reproduction of the Nostromo, <laughs> which you could walk around in. Well, that's like DLC. It was also maybe probably the best at capturing the kind of mood of this movie in that video game. Yeah, it was a really good video game. Way too long, but great. Yeah, it <laughs> got kind of repetitive, but it was fun. Um, and then I do know one of the Fargo TV guys, I think it's Noah Haley. He's supposed to be working on the Alien TV show for FX. Yeah. Which should be awesome or terrible. You never know. You don't know. <laughs> Apparently, it's been delayed a bunch. One was the COVID, two was to the strike. So it's in production now. So we'll probably see it next year. Right. Like 2025 next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you have hopes for that, Nathan? I just won't know till I see it. I mean, okay. Because there's a movie coming out too. It's, it's called Alien Romulus. Oh, yeah. It's by the, the evil dead guy that's not same Raimi <laughs> yeah and it's like I, I hear it's like oh because I, I watch there, there's some you know alien trivia or alien like YouTube things and stuff fans I watch but some of these guys are pretty realistic about it and there's like well let's see there's been zero promotion for it it's a cast of unknowns and the trailers they've released have almost reveal almost nothing about it and it's due out like pretty soon so it's oh, like okay. this isn't going to be good uh, yeah yeah shove it under the car <laughs> oh yeah um yeah this is one of the greatest horror movies of all time yeah capped off the 70s <laughs> oh yeah in style set the tone for the 80s <laughs> yeah basically yeah basically every movie tried to be this um, yeah well every dark sci-fi movie well like i said like almost every movie in the 80s was shot at night yeah. Just because it made your movie look bigger because you didn't have, you know, it's like Back to the Future is like the only bright movie in the 80s. Yeah, that's true. Because, <laughs> like I said, it's easy, like. And even then, like, the most memorable scenes in Back to the Future were shot during a thunderstorm. So it's like, <laughs> uh, even that managed to be dark sometimes. Yeah, because special effects just work better in dark, like, scenes because you can hide a lot more. Yeah. Uh, that's true today. It's always been true. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, like everything, yeah, everything took, yeah, in every movie there was like a dark nightclub with fog and 
lazy if it was a rom-com if it was a sci-fi thriller if it was a western <laughs> there's just lasers and smoke and darkness and everybody <laughs> um you know, even even Escape from New York had that weird wired grid thing, which was cleverly done without but without CGI. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's cheaper to just put tape on a black model. It's like that's genius. <laughs> it looks futuristic. <laughs> um. Oh, any closing thoughts on Alien, Nathan? I know this is like one of your top, top movies. <laughs> oh, I had a few things. I'm kind of out of time, so oh, okay. it's like I, there was some things. We could expand upon it later at some point. All right. Uh, well, we're sending a probe into space, you know, to catch up as a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, containing the supercut of the imperfect collection that is the very effect. Nathan, what scene for this movie are we chucking into space? Well, it's kind. Of, it, we have to do the chestburster scene with Kane because that basically explains the whole movie, <laughs> um, and what you're in store for. Even though it's like the most horrific part of the movie, <laughs> which might oversell it a little, but it's really essentially what the story's about. It's like random horrible things happening. <laughs> and you can find us at Letterbox, uh, username VHE. Uh, one out of five stars. What does this movie get? Five. Obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, you can find us at verhoneffect.com. There they have listener support where you can support us at a monthly stipend either 99 cents, 499 or 999 You can rate our podcast whatever you want. Remember, the algorithm only listens to the highest rate. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Especially you, Ash. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find us at Twitter at Vero Effect. You can find us at Blue Sky Social at Vero Effect. You can find us at Facebook at Vero Effect. And you can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both this show and that show live and unedited. And we have no t shirts for sale. So for the Vero Effect podcast, I'm Common. I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs> <laughs>